Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Uh, do I expect Ryan O'Reilly to get the captain? I do. I think he is probably the best leader in that locker room even before uh, this moment right now, even going back to the last season. That was Joey Vitale talking about who he thought would be, could be, should be, the Blues captain, and now it is officially official. We heard it reported over the weekend from our guy Jeremy Rutherford. It is now official. Ryan O'Reilly is officially the Blues' 23rd captain in team history. Vladimir Tarasenko, Braden Shin, and Colton Pareko will serve as the assistant captains. Again, that's Vladdy, Braden Shin, and Colton Pareko as your assistant captains this year. Ryan O'Reilly, the 23rd captain in team history. Alex Ferrario, this was not a surprise to anybody, but it was really announced in full force today. We will hear from the captain himself coming up at 12 o'clock. What would you make of the news? You know, I love it now that it's official, BK, and I went back when they put the announcement out, and I started thinking about the conversations that I've had with Ryan O'Reilly over the two years that he's been here. You know, when this team was at its worst, when they were the bottom of the team in January, he's the ultimate optimist. He's talking about how everyone's working the right amount of time, ways on the ice. Uh, They're going to get this right, and look what happens. They win the Stanley Cup. He's the same guy when things are bad. He's the same guy when things are going well. He's always out there working. He's drawing everyone into his practice skills and things like that. This is the guy that you want as a captain. And, you know, being the 23rd captain in Blues history, you go back and look at some of these guys, BK. Of course, Alex Petrangelo, who was the epitome of captaincy. David Backus, the same way. Mr. Captain, it felt like forever. But Pronger, McKennis, um, Brett Hall, Brian Sutter, Bernie Federko, who we talked to yesterday, all of these guys said the right things and did the right things. And Ryan O'Reilly is the is the the perfect decision by the Blues for this reason, because what he brings to the ice on a nightly basis and what he says off the ice is what everybody else in that locker room is going to want to be like. So that's what you want from the captain, and that's why the Blues went this way. So Ryan O'Reilly spoke to stlouisblues.com, and he said, quote, seeing the veterans that we've lost over the last year, of course, referring to Petrangelo, Steen, Bo Meester, Allen, I think with my mindset, I knew there was responsibility for myself to do a lot more. When Chief and Army asked if I would like to wear the C, I said, absolutely. It's exciting. It's an honor. There aren't a lot of guys that get chances like this, end quote. Again, that coming from Ryan O'Reilly talking to the Blues official team website. You'll hear more from him coming up at 12 o'clock right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. 
The one thing that I do hope does not happen here, and I don't think it will, but just as kind of a disclaimer out on the front end, I hope he doesn't change anything. Because what you heard in that open with Joey Vitale saying he's he's basically been the Blues captain since the moment that he walked onto the ice here in St. Louis. He has served in this capacity without officially having this role, right? He's done the media stuff, the obligations that come along with being the captain. He's been a leader inside of that room. He's led by example. He's led vocally. He's done everything that a captain would need to do. Don't change yourself because there's a C on your chest. And I don't think that Ryan O'Reilly will, but I just, that that's the one, the only concern, and it's like 5% concern for me. The only <laughs> thing that I would have out there. Otherwise, everything about this feels obvious. It is the mm -hmm. clear-cut answer for your captaincy. I think that the assistant captains make a lot of sense. The last thing that I would add here, I do think that it is possible. Possible that the transition that we have seen since the Stanley Cup run could be a good thing for this team. And here's what I mean by that, Alex, is we talked yesterday with Jeremy Rutherford, and he said that this is the most transition he's ever seen um, from a Blues team since he started covering the team, what, 20 years ago now, right? There's something to the fact that when you win the Cup, when you reach that pinnacle, if you have the same guys in that locker room, it can get stale. It's the same message. It's the same guys going on the ice with you every day. It's the same line mates. It's the same defensive pairings. It can get a little bit stale, right? The Blues don't have that issue going into this year. This should not be stale in any way, shape, or form. You've made some significant changes to the lineup. Tory Krug is a totally different player than what the Blues had in that spot uh, in recent years. Justin Falk is now playing a totally different role than what he served in last year. You have new leadership. You have a lot of new guys. You have a new coach in the, in the mix with Monty. Yeah. There are voices that have changed. And while that can be scary, not having the same leadership that you had recently, I do think that it is possible it can be a good thing for this Blues team. And that is not to speak ill of the guys that have left. I just always think having a little bit of a change up on a team year to year can be a positive thing. Without question, BK, I mean, things can get stale. Look at the Chicago Blackhawks, who went on a legacy run there for 10 years, but it got stale because it was the same group of core players, and Joel Quinville's the one that gets axed. The L.A. Kings, they had to get rid of Daryl Sutter, who won them three Stanley Cups in the same amount of window, but it got stale. He gets axed. The Blues have transitioned a couple of times over these last five years. You know, you go back to when David Backus was let go through free agency and David Perron's in the expansion draft, BK. I remember a lot of Blues fans at the time, what are we doing here? Like, what is the identity of this team? Because it's, it's some young guys, it's some old guys. You didn't have an identity. They make the postseason. There's a little bit of fluttering there, and it doesn't work out. And then they transition again, right? Then they bring in Ryan O'Reilly and bring in Pat Maroon and bring in Tyler Bozak and bring up Jordan Bennington. That, that transition can always be a good thing when you're bringing in these voices. The key to this, though, is you have to have a close group of guys. That's what helped this team win the Stanley Cup. They had guys that went to battle for each other every single night. Alexander Steen, Alex Petrangelo, some of that old school hockey mentality. You don't have as much old school hockey mentality anymore. Like Braden Shen to me is old school hockey still. Ryan O'Reilly is old school hockey. 
but you are transitioning into this younger group of guys that like to play video games and like yeah. to kind of hang out by themselves. You sounded and, so old saying that. <laughs> I know. God, I sounded like such a freaking millennial. Get off my lawn. I sounded like Jamie Rivers there for a minute. But it's serious, though. Like, you have these younger guys that want to do the run-and-gun style of hockey, like mm -hmm. what Edmonton does. You can't play that way if the mentality is the physicality. So it's going to be down to having a close group of physical guys that can play that style. It's got to be a happy medium of both. And I think Ryan O'Reilly is the perfect person to put at the helm of this. Yeah, it's a balance, right? And 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 314. Guys, sometimes change can be a good thing, but too much change could be a bad thing and it ultimately messes up chemistry. Absolutely. It's hundred yeah. percent true, right? You could have, you could throw a bad egg into the mix and suddenly things go south really quickly, right? I don't think that the Blues did that though. They got Kyle Clifford thrown into the mix now as a fourth liner. Everything that we have heard is that he is the consummate teammate, the guy that you yes. absolutely want on your squad, and you absolutely hate going up against him when he's on the opposition, right? So he's, he's Pat Maroon, BK. He is Pat Maroon for this team. So no worries there for me at all. Tory Krug, all that we have heard is that he is a fantastic teammate and he's going to fit in great with this mix. I don't have any concerns there. We've seen Justin Falk already acclimate into the mix, although this year I think he's going to do so even to a higher degree. There aren't a ton of other guys that you've thrown in here. Monty, the coach, Mon we've heard great things about him. Jamie Rivers has done nothing but sing his praises, saying he's going to be an yeah. unbelievable fit in this locker room. So I think they had enough change in the voices that will be heard in that locker room without having too many. It is that balance, like you mentioned, like our texter mentioned. And when you when you go a little bit too far in one direction or the other, it can be problematic. I don't think that's where the Blues are right now. I really like the way that the makeup of this team has kind of come together. And if they could add one more, one more to this mix with Mike Hoffman, <laughs> I would really love the way that things have really been able to take shape today. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. He makes this team that much better if you put him on this team. Uh, BK, I will say there is one transition piece, though, that's going to be the area of focus. And I heard Dan and Randy talking about this. It's Ville Husso. You don't have this veteran backup anymore. That was Jake Allen. Yeah. And I know from experience talking with guys, you go to bat for these goaltenders, right? Like they go out there and put on a show for you. And these players go out there and want to jump in front of pucks for him. And I heard Randy talk about it. Ville Husso is going to have to step into this role and be this guy that the players want to play for in front of him. They, the players want to dive in front of pucks for. I'm not saying Ville Husso is a bad guy, but Ville Husso hasn't played with a lot of these guys. They don't know who he is other than training camp and a couple of preseason games. So if you're looking at one transition piece that's going to be vital for this season, it's going to be Ville Husso because you got to have a, a, a legit backup who can win you 10, 15, 20 games in this 56-game season. It's been one of my biggest concerns all offseason. One of my biggest concerns all offseason, especially with the way that the schedule is going to set up. If they're doing a bunch of back-to-backs, I yeah. mean, you're just you're not going to be able to play Bennington on every one of those. You, you can for some, but eventually you're going to have to see what Ville Husso looks like, and he's going to get some significant playing time this year. So I think he's one of the most underrated storylines of the season for the Blues. If he's good... It can completely change the way that we look at this team for this season. 
if he's bad, it can also completely change the way that we view this team for the upcoming season in the regular season. He's not going to get a whole lot of starts in the postseason, let's be honest. But in the regular season, it can change the ceiling for them one way or the other. He's one of the biggest stories to me. Story of the day, though. Ryan O'Reilly officially named the next captain for the St. Louis Blues. We will hear from the captain himself, Ryan O'Reilly, coming up at 12 o'clock. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, will join us coming up at 1.30 to talk about this as well. Coming up at 11.30, Rob Ray. He's a Sabres TV analyst, former Buffalo Sabres forward himself. He's going to talk about what he has seen in the development of Ryan O'Reilly coming up at 11.30. But coming up next, let's get into the Cardinals because yesterday there was significant Significant news, not here locally, but internationally for baseball. And I think it is the single best way, or maybe more likely the <laughs> most likely way that the Cardinals can actually acquire a star. I'll tell you what I mean by that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kiley. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up at 12 o'clock, we will talk, or we will hear rather, from Ryan O'Reilly, the new captain of the Blues. He's having his first press conference as the captain. That's coming up here in just about 45 minutes or so. You will hear, hear it live on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk with the uh, former NHL forward, current Sabres TV analyst, Rob Ray, about... Um, the new captain, Ryan O'Reilly. That's coming up here in just about 15 minutes. But I wanted to talk about what I believe is the the Cardinals' best shot at a star this offseason, Ferrario. And no, I'm not talking about our guy, Nolan Arenado. I'm not talking 95%. about Francisco Lindor. I've given up on all of those dreams. <laughs> I am I am a beaten down man. Yeah. I have lost Two days fight. before Christmas and you were dropping all of your dreams, BK. It's over for me. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I understand that it's just not going to go the way that I had hoped. So there is another option, though. So there are multiple ways that you can acquire talent, right? The Cardinals have more or less told me over the years they are not going to be playing in the deep end of the free agency market. The 10-year, $250-plus million contracts, nope, not interested in that. Okay, okay, I disagree with it, but all right, I, I'll live with that. They're not interested, seemingly, in acquiring players with those kinds of contracts. Okay, disagree with it, but I understand. They're not super interested in giving up a ton of prospects on their own to go acquire that top prospect that is ready to break into the big leagues. All right. Again, disagree with that all I want. Doesn't much matter. That's not the route they're going to go. There's basically one route that they have remaining to them that might be able to acquire them a star franchise type of a talent for Ario. You create a robot and you make that person play, right? Close. They did that with Albert Pujols. That is not That's the true. route that I'm discussing here. Can't do the Terminator. I am, of course, talking about going into the international market and going all in on a player that you otherwise would have to pay way more money for. But because they're in the international market, you're able to acquire them that way. Well, there was mm -hmm. somebody yesterday. This gentleman's name is Oscar Luis Colas. He is 22 years old. They have coined him the, quote, 
Cuban Otani. He throws 95. He plays all three outfield positions. He can play a little third base for you as well. This kid is apparently, according to Jeff Passan, quote, one of the best prospects to emerge from Cuba in years. A scout told Jeff Passan that this kid could realistically, realistically, both pitch and play in the outfield for a big league team sooner rather than later. Again, 22 years old, one of the best Cuban prospects that we've seen in years. That means one of the best prospects that we've seen in years is what essentially they're saying by that. Ferrario, if they're not willing to play in the deep end in free agency, they're not going to draft and develop a star position player, which is something that they haven't done since, God, I don't even know when. Maybe Pujols, <laughs> honestly, or, or, or Yachty. Um, if yep. they're not going to be able to do that and they're not going to trade for these contracts and they're not going to trade for a superstar prospect, I really do think this might be their best chance to be able to go and acquire a legitimate star talent on the positional side of things. Well, you're right, BK. They, they've done this before. They, they they did this with Luis Robert. No, no, they didn't. <laughs> uh, well, they did it with Fernando Tatis Jr. No, no, they didn't. Yeah, this is the perfect way to do it, BK, but the Cardinals have never done this for the offensive player. Pitching-wise, and maybe this works because this guy can do both, but they've done this, and they've had success. Sung Wan Oh was a phenomenal pitcher in that first year for the Cardinals as their closer and they, that, that kind of back end of the bullpen. We just saw what Kwang Young Kim can offer and Cy Young performances for this team. This is the obvious and easy way to upgrade. We talk so much about Doug Armstrong and Tom Stillman, BK, and I've said it that you know the better option for Doug Armstrong, if he has the decision, is to spend money and not give up prospects or give up draft picks. Well, the best way for the Cardinals to upgrade and not have to sign these huge, massive contracts and not have to trade your younger players that they don't want to touch is to go into the international market. And I don't know as much about this Oscar Colas. I was looking at it a little bit last night when you sent his name over. The guy can hit. The guy can pitch. He's only pitched in a small sample size, but I think you're bringing him over to hit for you. Like, that's the bigger thing that you're wanting from this. So this makes a lot of sense. I, Joanna Cespedes is, is kid, I believe, just signed with the White Sox yeah. for $2 million bonus signing. So if that's the market you're looking at, this is the perfect way because you're not going to have to go spend $10, $15 million that you didn't want to spend. You spend 2 to $5 million and you find yourself a significant upgrade offensively. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals have done this a little bit in the past. They did sign Randy Arozarena as an international signing. They signed him for that about a out. million dollars. It, it did, and now they <laughs> traded him, of course. But it did work out for the time. They signed Aledmus Diaz, who they thought – uh, was going to be a significant player for them. They signed him to yeah. a four-year, $8 million contract. It, he was fine for a couple of years. It didn't end up going in a way where he became a star, but he he was a good player for them for a short period of time. Adolis Garcia, they went and they decided to sign. They've gone down this route a few times, and it's had some mixed results. But as you said, they've also gone overseas and had success over there. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I find this to be an interesting question from the 636. Guys, why do you always dismiss Paul Goldschmidt? He was a star player that they decided to trade for. Uh, totally fair. They absolutely did. And they ended up giving him the five-year contract extension as a result of that as well. The thing is, Goldschmidt was the... And this is not to take away from how great of a trade it was. It was a really smart decision by the Cardinals to do this. 
he was a very Cardinals type of acquisition. He was clear. He was the exact type of player that you would expect to re-sign in St. Louis. And so when they traded for him, I sung their praises. It's a really good deal. He's a fantastic baseball player that helps him. That's not enough, though. There does need to be more that is done. You can't have one big bat in your lineup and expect to win a World Series that way. You've got to continue acquiring and stockpiling this talent in your positional players on that lineup. They haven't. I ask this in all seriousness, guys, and 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Who was the last Cardinals player that they drafted and developed that became a superstar positional player? Is it Yachty? It's Yachty. I mean, yeah. we're, we're talking 20 years almost. Like in the last in the last decade, let's say, basically since Mo became uh, the, the the guy that is in charge of the front office, who's who's the prospects that they drafted and developed into a star? I think you can argue if we're talking star and not superstar, maybe that's the disclaimer here. Matt Carpenter, he, he, he became Young. a really good player for them. Paul DeYoung basically had one good season so far, but sure, maybe but if that's... If we're going star, I would say Paul DeYoung's at least a star. He's been an all-star a couple of times. He's been in the gold glove voting a couple of times. Like, he's at least a star for sure. you. Um, he's not a superstar because I don't think you've you've drafted and developed a superstar in a long time. Somebody mentions Oscar Tavares. That, that's a good one, unfortunately. We, we all know we what happened didn't there. didn't know that what it turned no out to be. That was no fault of the Cardinals, obviously, right. but... That that's that that is absolutely one that you could put on this list. I just feel like if they are, if they're not going to be in the mix for a top five, top ten pick, it's really difficult. Although we've seen it, it's really difficult to draft and develop those star position players if you're not drafting yeah. in the top ten or so. So that that eliminates that route. They've eliminated the free agency route for themselves. They've eliminated more often than not going the trade route for guys like Nolan Arenado. So there's really only one route remaining and that's the international market and i would love to see them be a little bit more active and this guy seems like the guy that you would be active for let me ask you this bk because i'm just looking at these numbers and, and on air comfort service text line 65780 someone texted in the name uh, uh hasung kim over in the kbo now oscar colas uh, at least from what i'm reading he plays first base and right field which is a position that the cardinals obviously are stockpiled in let me ask you, BK, what's the one thing you don't want to happen this season for the Cardinals? What do you mean? Like, what's the one thing you would hate to see happen for this team in the starting lineup on opening day in terms of somebody playing a position? Oh, Matt Carpenter starting at third base for them. So I would say your your hole is third base. Now, apparently this, this Hasung Kim, now again, I don't know much. I'm looking at the stats on baseball reference. This guy's a power hitter. He's 25 years old. He's been playing in the KBO since he's an 18-year-old, yeah. and he plays third base. So if I'm the Cardinals, yes, this would be awesome to go get the next Shohei Otani if he's out there in Cuba. But I'm also looking at third base, and if this guy's available, what I'm saying is there's options out there, and you're right. The only way to upgrade this team this season, really upgrade this team, is to dive into that international market. But you got to find somebody who's going to be a factor on this team now and not like a Randy Arozarena or an Adolis Garcia who's stockpiled in the minors for three years and then you don't know what he See, is. See, I don't care. I, I, do, I do not care how long it takes. Get the star. I, if, if it means you got to wait five years for the kid, if you're signing an 18-year-old from the Dominican, if you're signing a kid from Cuba that is 17 and you think he's going to be here six years from now, I don't care. I don't care how you acquire the talent. I've always been upfront about this. It, 
if you have to pay $500 million for them or you pay $10 for them, I I don't care. You just need to acquire the talent, and eventually it's got to come through for you. Um, ha Sung Kim, from what I've read in terms of the scouting reports, it sounds like he's the type of guy that's going to be kind of middling at everything, right? He's going to be an okay batting average, okay on base percentage, okay slugging. He's going to steal a few bags for you, play solid defense, and people have projected like a four-year, $16 million-ish contract for him. If that's the route they decide to go, that's fine. I got no issues with it. Um, I don't know that they're going to want to have that type of a player at third when they're expecting something more from Nolan Gorman here in the near future, it might clog that spot for you. But if you're looking to the outfield, and this is another reason, they need more production from out there. I know it's really clogged right now. I don't think that's going to be the case in 2022, though, right? I think that by then, you'll have some more answers on guys like O'Neal and Lane Thomas. Dexter Fowler will be out of the mix entirely. And then suddenly, if you did acquire this guy, this Cuban Otani, if you will, and he ends up signing with the Cardinals, well, now by 2022, he might be a starting outfielder for you, along with Dylan Carlson. And maybe you're platooning at this point in center field with Harrison Bader. And suddenly you feel a lot better about that outfield mix. And it all stemmed from you making a really good decision in the international market where you were willing and able to acquire a star for a cheaper price than what it would be here in the States if you were going with the free agency period or trade or drafting somebody in the 20s where the Cardinals typically pick in the MLB draft. So I think this is the most likely, the most realistic route for them to be able to acquire a legitimate star, superstar type of a talent. Will it for sure work? No. But I will give them credit for at least giving the making the effort to acquire a player like that. And that's something that I think has been lacking at times over recent years. Like you mentioned, with guys like uh, Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Fernando Tatis Jr. All of these guys were available out there and the Cardinals just opted not to go after him. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Luke Clevenger working the board for us today here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Rob Ray is a former NHL forward. He watched Ryan O'Reilly up close in person while O'Reilly was with the Buffalo Sabres. What has Rob Ray seen from the development of Ryan O'Reilly over the years? We're going to talk to him about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. As you just heard from Luke Clevenger in the update, Ryan O'Reilly will speak with the media coming up at 12, 12 o'clock. You will hear that right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. His first press conference as the official captain of your St. Louis Blues. But right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Rob Ray. He's a former NHL forward, spent the vast majority of his career with Buffalo, once fought... Craig Berube, which is a hell of Multiple a line times. in any sort of a bio. <laughs> He's also currently the Saber, Sabres TV analyst joining us here on 101 ESPN. Rob, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing very well, guys. Just getting ready for Christmas here and... Uh... Yeah, it's a busy time. Busy time for us right now. Certainly is. A busy time for the Blues as well, Robin. Earlier today, they officially announced that Ryan O'Reilly is going to be their 23rd captain in team history. You got to see him up close in person in Buffalo. Does this surprise you at all that, what, two years now into his Blues career, he's going to be the next captain of the St. Louis Blues? 
No, Ryan, when Ryan came here, Ryan was an ultimate professional from day one. And, you know, he's just, you watch this guy, not so much on the ice when he's off the ice, his preparation, his dedication, and everything he has, he's he's awesome. He's awesome for young kids to look at and see what it takes to be to be a successful NHL player. And, you know, he brings it every every day. And that's the kind of guy you want leading your team, by example. I think the biggest thing, too, with Ryan O'Reilly, Rob, is how he, he takes some of the younger players under their wings and mentors them. The Blues fans are seeing that right now with a guy like Robert Thomas, but Jack Eichel, although he was a top pick in the draft, he isn't who he is without the help of Ryan O'Reilly. Do you agree? You know, 100%. And, and when Ryan came here, Ryan was brought here to save the world. And he did all he could possibly do, but I'll tell you what, the young kids like Sam Reinhardt, Jack Eichel, these guys that were around Ryan and watched him and listened to him, it totally sped up their process of developing as players. And a lot what those guys are now, they would look back and I would say they would say it was because of Ryan O'Reilly. He, he, he takes the time. Like, he knows how important it is to be in that role, and he knows how important it is to – mentor these guys and pass on knowledge and teach them things and he he's willing to do that not more not a lot of guys at that level are willing to take the time the way ryan does and you're right jack wouldn't be in the situation he is right now you know developing and maturing as a player and as a person uh if he didn't have that experience with ryan because i i watched it all the time on the road wherever we may be always taking guys aside always you know not so much the, the on-ice part of it. It's the more the the life part of it, the uh, how to handle situations. He had such a calm demeanor to him, and he just, you know, he was dedicated. He was motivated. He, he knew what he wanted to do, and nothing stops him from getting there. So, you know, more than anything, I hope those guys, that's what they took from Ryan because uh, that's what he tried to bring here every day. Rob, you spent more than 20 or almost 20 years playing with the Buffalo Sabres in the locker room. And in that time, you saw a lot of different captains lead uh, the Buffalo Sabres. You know, we as fans or we as broadcasters talk about, you know, putting the C on and it's about leadership. But from the locker room perspective, what goes into being a captain and being a leader for a team? Well, it takes a lot and it's a big responsibility. And I don't think people that have not been in a room would understand the responsibility what these guys carry on them, whether it's the captain, the assistants, I can, you know, times here when Michael Peck was the captain and the unbelievable, but he was not the most vocal guy. That's where Rhett Warner, myself, Stu Barnes, and those kind of guys would carry the load in that area. But it's a ton of responsibility. He has to, he has to know every player in the room. He has to know what makes them tick. He has to know a lot more about them than the normal guy in the dressing room because he's got to notice things when guys are down or they're not, you know, performing the same way and take that time to try to figure it out because coaches and all that and most players in the room aren't going to take the time for that. And for a captain, that's his responsibility. And he's the one that, you know, has a lot on his shoulders that, you know, most people wouldn't even see because he has to notice it. And he noticed it because he's, he's made – an attempt to make sure that he knows the little inconsistencies in their game or the way they're acting that they, they may need a little talk to or may need a little help. So, But if you've got the wrong guy as your captain, and I've experienced that as well, 
it can hurt. It can hurt a room so bad because they're looking at the way that player is and they think that's, oh, that's okay. That's, that can hurt it just as much. But I had some great captains. Mike Ramsey, you know, Pavlov on Kane, Dale Halichuk, Wardenstee here, Mogilny. These kind of guys were – they did. They took the time, and they made sure that, you know – and they didn't hesitate to call guys out, uh, you know. And but, but the onus was on them to make sure that their game was at the top all the time too because if you're calling guys out, you better make sure that you're doing your job as well. So – you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, heavy weight carried on a on a captain or a leader of a hockey team. We're talking to Rob Ray, former Buffalo Sabers forward, current Sabers TV analyst, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Rob, I wanted to ask you about Ryan O'Reilly's time in Buffalo because yeah. I, I think the story that everybody kind of revisits about that time was when when he said he fell out of love with hockey and. I think for Blues fans, it's almost hard to believe that this guy fell out of love with hockey, given what we've seen since he's been here in St. Louis. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of what the status was of the Sabres at that time and what led to those comments from Ryan O'Reilly? Well, Ryan was put in, as I said, to, to save the world. And he didn't really have the help around him to be able to do that. He did as much as he possibly could. And I, and I know he carried the weight of that on his shoulders to try to make it happen, but it was a young team. It was a young group of guys rebuilding. And it was, it was a situation where I think he got really frustrated with because he wanted to make sure he was doing what he needed to do. He, he was worrying about everybody else, making sure that, you know, they were progressing the way they were. And a lot of the times when you have so many young guys in the room, that's, that's incredibly hard to do because You've got to have the time, too, to make sure that you're at the top of your game and also worrying about everybody else. So it takes away a little bit. But, you know, Ryan, Ryan was he was in a situation where it was not good. There was a lot going on here. And, and as I said, a young group of guys. And I just think he felt the weight of the world because everybody, every time something would go bad, it was Ryan's fault. You know, Ryan was supposed to fix this. Ryan was supposed to make a difference. Well, he has, and he's done a hell of a job. But he's not God, and he can't, uh, you know, change things overnight and, and make things, uh, you know, perfect the way everybody wants. And I think it just wore him out. They wore him out. And, you know, when he came out and said that he's lost the love of the game, you know, people in this town, they're hard. And when they hear something like that, they, they take that personally. And, you know, it was, a, it was a tough situation to be in. But he was being honest. And I can see how it could happen. And anybody that was around it understood it. And he, uh, you know, he had so much to bring and he, he wanted to do it, but he just, he didn't have the support to be able to do it. Hey, Rob, final question from me, and it's great to catch up with you, buddy. I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on the NHL's return right now. I know a lot of Blues fans are talking about their team in the Western Division. Of course, Buffalo playing in this Eastern Division. What do you think a 56-game schedule in this short amount of time is going to look like for these teams uh, trying to put it all out there on the ice and make the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs? Well, I think it's going to be intense because every game is going to mean so much, and you want to make sure that you are – 100% ready when the season starts because I know in the conference we're in, there's no slouches. And, you know, you better make sure that you're ready to go. And I think in that is most cases. But I think most of all, too, I think it could bring back a lot of the intensity that might have been lost a little bit in the game because every game is going to, A, mean so much. You're playing so many teams so often now that, uh, you know, you can create that animosity. I think the 
you know, the intensity level of every game is, is hopefully going to be through the roof. And for a fan sitting back watching, I, I think it's going to be fantastic. But, you know, I'm talking to the guys here in town now, and they're, they're so jacked to get ready and get going that, you know, that, that enthusiasm level is, is off the charts. So hopefully that transpires onto the ice. He's Rob Ray, former Buffalo Sabres forward, current Sabres TV analyst. Rob, we always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and your family. Hope you have a happy holidays, and we'll talk with you again soon as this hockey season gets going. Hey, anytime, guys. Have a great holiday, and Merry Christmas to everybody out there as well. Absolutely. Same to you. That Thanks, is Rob Ray. Ray, former NHL forward, current Sabres TV analyst, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Thought it was really interesting there, talking to him about what happened to Ryan O'Reilly and his time with the Sabres. I mean, it, it's basically as if Ryan O'Reilly was a football player, and he came to St. Louis in the middle of the Rams in their disaster period. Like that, yep. that's essentially what he was tasked with doing. And then he was told, you need to fix this. Like everything yep. that you see around you where it's like the meme with the guy that's looking around saying this is fine with the fire everywhere as the <laughs> house is engulfed in flames. <laughs> that was Ryan O'Reilly looking around like, what exactly do you want me to do here? It's not yep. possible for me to fix all of this. The, yep. the the culture is a mess. The players are all like 22 years old and have no idea what it's like to be an NHL player. And you're telling me I need to turn this around? That ain't going to happen, guys. And eventually you just you get too much of a load on you. And I, I don't think he or literally anybody was going to be able to handle that. Well, and that was what it was. I mean, you go back to that trade, BK, and I want to pull it up for fans that don't remember what Ryan O'Reilly kind of was. I mean, he was so he was basically playing with the Colorado Avalanche, BK, and then the Colorado Avalanche had traded him to Buffalo for Nikita Zadorov, J.D. Comfer, Mikhail Grigorenko, and a, a second-round draft pick. And I know those don't sound like much to people, but at the time, these are all highly touted prospects that you traded to Colorado for Ryan O'Reilly. O'Reilly comes over, he puts on an A, he's taking on a team in Buffalo that had Ryan Miller that had gone to the Eastern Conference Finals at one point and was in the middle of a transition. And we know from St. Louis, when you transition, you don't transition from being good, bad, to being good again. It takes time. So Ryan O'Reilly, who was not only tasked with changing the franchise, but also tasked with making sure that Jack Eichel was a significant captain and leader while being a rookie, also making sure that this team could have offense from dead salary of players being paid. He was supposed to be God for this team, like Rob Ray said, and he was never able to live up to it. And if I'm Ryan, I would lose the love of the game because you're not playing for hockey. You're playing for, you're playing for the, the life and the, and the, and the ability to breathe life into this Buffalo Sabres organization. And he couldn't do it. And I don't blame him for that. So when he got traded to St. Louis, he was just a part of something, and now he's still a part of something, which is why he's been so good. The three years prior to him arriving in Buffalo, uh, the Sabres went 21-21 and 21 in this shortened season. And then the next year, 21-51, and 23-51. and 51, Ryan O'Reilly arrives. They're back to 500, 35 and 36, and then 33 and 37. And then, of course, the the fall, the 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 basement falls out, and they go 25 and 45 the following season. 
not good, obviously, in that last year, but Ryan O'Reilly did make a difference. Like, he, he brought them <laughs> yeah. from a basement dweller to suddenly, okay, we're respectable again with Ryan O'Reilly. And then things things went south in 2018, and that is ultimately what led to him coming here to St. Louis. And let's be honest, couldn't have been happier that he's here. He, he's your captain. Yeah. He's the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. He's uh, Selkie. Like, the, he's everything you could possibly want in a top line center. He's what the blues have been missing for so long. And suddenly they have him. And it, it's pretty awesome to see it, it very rarely happens like this where yeah. a player is sold to you as something. And then not only does he live up to everything that he was sold to you as he actually exceeds most mm -hmm. of what they sold you that he was going to be. And that's what Ryan O'Reilly has been thus far. And we certainly expect nothing less from him moving forward. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We will hear from the new captain of the Blues, Ryan O'Reilly, coming up at 12 o'clock. You'll hear that right here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll dive into some questions and answers next on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about five minutes or so, we will hear from Ryan O'Reilly, the new Blues captain, as he is officially announced as the 23rd captain in team history. If you missed the announcement earlier today, Vladimir Tarasenko, Braden Shin, and Colton Pareko will serve as the assistant captains. And let's react to that really quickly, Ferrario from the 314. Guys, what do you think of the announcement today? Obviously, everybody knew that O'Reilly was going to be the captain. What do you think about the assistants? Do these three make sense? I, they make sense to me, BK, because they're three guys that have elevated roles in this organization. And I know everyone's asking about Perron and Schwartz. Those are the two that people are wondering, why didn't they get a shot at the A? Frankly, I think those two don't need A's to be leaders because they both are guys that everyone in that locker room knows are leaders. And I think that can go for O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Pareko, Shen. Like, these guys don't need letters on their jerseys, but it's kind of what Rob just told us. You know, it's an accelerated thing. It's about guys knowing your entire team, knowing what to say, when to say, uh, you know, talking more with the coaching staff, knowing when guys need rest or re need days off. But look, Perron and Schwartz are two guys. Perron's been around this organization probably longer than anybody because he was drafted back in the early 2000s of this team. Um, and Schwartz is a guy that is kind of what he does on the ice. It makes you want to do more. So I think these were the three right decisions. I don't think you could have gone with anybody else being Perron and Schwartz. But again, it's just kind of the elevated role within the organization that these three got. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world to me. Shin was a no-brainer. Vladdy was always, I think, going to get the A on his chest. Like that's, this is just, this is how it goes, right? You you know, to be able to make sure that he is the player that you want him to be, this is something that you give him, right? Because you're rewarding 
his performance. So Vladdy was going to get one. And then they've talked all offseason about how Colton Pareko was going to be a guy that was going to take that next step in terms of his leadership role, e even more so maybe than what he's going to take on the ice. So I fully anticipated this was probably going to be the route that they went. Makes all the sense in the world to me. Next one, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 618. Guys, what do you think about the new offsides rule? Ferrario, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. What would you make of it last night as they made this announcement? I love this decision, BK. And, you know, this is one of those rules that has been out there for so long that you wondered why it took this long, right? Like, it's one of those gray areas that people did or that that officials couldn't decide if it was a goal or not a goal like it dictated the outcomes of a lot of games and if people don't know what the offsides rule is so basically what what it was before yesterday the change was if the if the skate was in the air but it was still on the blue line it would be considered onside because offsides of course is when the player crosses the line before the puck does but if the if the back of their skate blade was in the air on the blue line, it's considered onside. And there was a lot of kind of griping about that because it dictated the outcomes of games. Now what the new rule is, the skate has to be touching that blue line. So if the, if the puck is, is behind the player and the player's across the blue line, but it skates in the air and it's not touching the ice on that blue line, then it's considered offside. So that's a great rule. I think it's going to um, to take away some of the complaining from both sides moving into this season. And it's one of those black or it's one of those gray areas that you've turned to black and white now, BK, that, you know, fans, players, coaches can't get upset about. Yeah, I, I hope that it brings a little bit of clarity. I know this has certainly been an issue that we have seen in the past more often than anybody would like. I saw a story last night. I think it was like 75 replay reviews were called last year for offsides and they're hoping that this can eliminate at least a portion of those it won't go away altogether but you would hope right. that it at least eliminates a portion of it and if it does i listen i'm a guy that likes instant replay in general like in theory i think it is good for sports to be able to get these calls correct i think there are certain places like this for instance that have gone a little bit too far um, in the NFL, you are basically uh, you're at a place where it is inches like millimeters between where the ball was placed and where it was spotted. And it, it gets a little bit awkward. I do think for, for what it's worth for, I, th I think it's the other way around, right? It used to be that you had to have your your foot on the blue line and now it can be in the air, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's that's the change that's what that they is. made, yeah. right? Correct. So it used to yeah. be you, your skate would have to be on the ground. Now they are not making that a rule. It makes sense, honestly, like for injury reasons why they wouldn't want that to be the case. But now, as yeah. long as your, your blade is on the other, on the blue line somewhere, whether in the air or on the ground, it'll count for you. It used to be the other way where it had to be on the ice. Otherwise, you could potentially yeah. be called offsides. All right. We've got just a couple of minutes here. We are expecting at any moment Ryan O'Reilly is going to be announced officially in front of the media as the next captain of your St. Louis Blues. He is going to be the 23rd captain in the history of the Blues. Vladimir Tarasenko, Braden Shin, and Colton Pareko going to serve as the assistant captains. It is 12 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. What's the number one thing you want to hear from this, Ferrario? I don't think there's anything you can hear from this that you haven't heard before, to be honest with you, you know, BK. I, 
I'm hoping that he just he says all of the things that you would typically expect. Let's go out live right now. Ryan O'Reilly speaking as the official captain, the 23rd captain in Blues history. Being called captain. <laughs> uh, not yet. Obviously, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's very different for sure. But uh, you know, I'm excited for it. It's um, it's definitely an honor to be seen in this light from the organization and and the players as well. And um, to hear from them and get their support, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. It's uh, I know my parents and family are very excited too. And um, yeah, something I think it'll take a little while to get used to, but uh, you know, it's an exciting challenge for it. Ryan, uh, have you kind of sat back a little bit and reflected and thought about just your ascension from the moment uh, you got traded to the Blues to where you're at here now and just uh, how how incredible it's been for you since you've been in St. Louis now? Uh, yeah, it's uh, I haven't had really much time to really look back, you know, try to busy, you know, preparing as best we can for the, the season and, and all the stuff that's going on here. But um, yeah, it, it's amazing. It's amazing how things change and um, to just go from one thing to winning and then to now this to being a captain is, uh, you know, I, it's something I, you know, never thought would happen. And uh, yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. But obviously there's a lot of work that comes with it that uh, will be very challenging and fun. Hey Ryan, how do you define leadership? A lot of people say it's your people's play on the ice. Maybe what you say in the room, maybe the extra drills after practice, but how do you describe leadership? Um, I think leader leadership is very different and, you know, can be described in so many different ways. Um, you know, for myself, I think there's, you know, I have certain strengths that, um, you know, I think the guys respect a lot and, you know, they know I want to win. And I think I help push, um, you know, push guys in, in, in that sense. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of ways for myself to grow. I think there's a lot of things that I'm kind of, um, I find uncomfortable. And I think when that usually happens, that means there's growth to be had. And, you know, um, over the summer, I think, you know, I kind of realized it was time for me to kind of take a step regardless of the C or not, but really to, to have more communication and really be re more responsible for the way things operate and the way the team functions as well. So um, it's a, it's an exciting challenge and uh, you know, you know, leadership comes in many different ways. And I think it's one of the best things about this team is that, you know, we have so many different good leaders. We have guys that step up in all different areas and it's, it's, you know, comforting now as captain to kind of see that there's that support there, but um you know, excited to be uh, to be able to you know initiate it and and get things going. Hey Ryan, Tom Timmerman, going back in your hockey history, uh, when have ever have you been a captain before? And along the way, what captains have you learned valuable lessons from? Um, gosh, I, I can't even remember the last time I wore a C, but uh, you know, it might have been I think uh, like an under 18s maybe with Team Canada, and when I was young, I, I wore it a few times and. It's definitely a cool experience then and and such um you know over my career uh, you know i think as i've kind of gotten older and such you you kind of pay attention to the way guys lead more and more and um you know when i first came into the league um you know i had adam foot as a captain and remember what he did and just the relationships that he had with the staff and everyone it was pretty amazing to see and it's definitely something that you, you admired and you know looked up to and eventually wanted to be kind of that kind of guy. Um, I know, uh, you know, coming here and being part of this group and the veteran groups, I was kind of blown away with, you know, seeing what it takes to lead and 
you know, seeing Petro and the way he, you know, handles himself and the other veterans here, um, you know, it was amazing. I think I learned a lot in this past two years of, of kind of what it takes and, you know, how hard it is, but also how rewarding it can, it can be. Ryan, there's been obviously the passing of the torch now between Petro to you now. Have you talked to him at all? Has he given you any words of wisdom on uh, sort of, you know, taking over the C role now? Yeah, it was uh, it was very nice of him. He reached out and uh, we just sent a few messages back and forth and such. But, um, you know, he's very supportive of it, which was it was nice to hear from him. And, um, you know, we're definitely going to miss him. But, um, yeah, he kind of, you know, extended all the branch too to kind of be, you know, if there's anything I ever need, don't hesitate to call him. And, you know, I probably wouldn't want to reveal too much since he's now the enemy, but uh, still to have, um, you know, that support from him. And, you know, he's been here for so long and built this culture. Um, it's great to have the support from him and be able to, to reach out to him if I need. Ryan, as, as, as captain, do you change your approach at all in terms of how maybe you interact with the team? Did, is there anything more you'd like to do or maybe something that you were hesitant to do when you when you weren't wearing the C? Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously when Chief and Army told me, um, well, even over the summer, I kind of, you know, we were kind of obviously unsure what was going to happen with a lot of our veteran players. And unfortunately, we, we lost a lot of them. But um I kind of knew that, you know, it was my turn to, you know, evolve as a leader and, and be more involved and, and kind of getting to see, I think there's an instant responsibility that you feel for everyone's well-being, and not just the players, but the staff as well. Um, I think it's my job to, you know, be responsible for everyone and, and, and it's, it's going to be a challenge and I think a good challenge. And I've kind of mentioned this before, but, um, yeah, it's it's it'll be uncomfortable at times, but um, I'm excited for that because I know I have to you know find new ways to do things and 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 it's not just preparing for them. It's you know things are going to happen and I have to adapt. I have to go through them and experience them and and I think doing it with you know a good heart and you know the trust of the team and trying to win and they know that you know I think um, it'll figure itself out for for the best. Ryan, just as a follow-up, there, there's in pro hockey in the NHL, there's a mystique to being captain, which is really kind of unique to hockey among all pro sports. Any thoughts to to why that's the case? Uh, gosh, it's tough to say. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's a tough question. Um, you know, I think one of the best things about our game is that you – you need every player and you need, you know, everyone in the staff, you need every single guy to, in order to win. And I think a captain's job in that is to bring everyone together and bridge that gap from the coaches to the players, the training staff to the players and coaches and such. I think a captain has a big influence on that. And I think that's why it's such a, you know, something I'm so excited for is to be able to, to be a part of that and, and make, that you know those relationships as strong as they can be so it's it's definitely a, a unique thing that um you know i you know will take a lot of pride in hey ryan what do you expect the identity to be of this coming season's blues team um yeah there's a culture that's been built here and you know it's known that when we touch the ice we're we are hard to play against and 
I think, you know, talking with our leadership group, uh, you know, that's not changing. We know when you put on that Blues jersey, it's required that you will compete and make it as tough as possible on the other team. And, you know, we have some different personnel and such, but, you know, overall, that is our our mindset going into, you know, you're going to work first and you're going to trust the system. And that's kind of you know, what we want to continue and, and I think will be very effective. Were there lessons along those lines thus learned from the bubble and what happened there with the Blues losing in the first round? Yeah, you know, it was it was tough. I, you know, I don't think we came in. There was a lot of unknowns and um, before the bubble and how it was going to play out. And I just, you know, as a group, I don't think we were prepared enough for it. Um, you know, as players, I think we needed to do a better job of, you know, coming in and making impact right away. Um, I think we waited too long to kind of turn it on. And, you know, I can feel now the sense around our group, we kind of have an idea of what we're going into and, you know, seeing guys work and stuff, they're, they're preparing and preparing hard. And, and, you know, you know, I feel confident in that, that we'll, you know, we've learned our lesson and it's, it's time to respond and, and get back to winning. You're listening live to Ryan O'Reilly's first press conference as the official captain of the St. Louis Blues right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. You, what you are, whether it's a captain or a player or a person. Um, yeah, I think um, one of the reasons of probably playing in the NHL and such is I think that was something my dad kind of taught, taught me when I was very young is, you know, the things that are the most challenging or things that make you uncomfortable uncomfortable are usually the most meaningful and can make the most impact. And I've tried to adopt that as much as I can in my career is, you know, when you're unsure of something, kind of go into it more. And, and if there's something you find challenging, you know, spend more time on that, you know, go into it. And yeah, I think whether it's my performance or, you know, taking a step uh, like this in, you know, in my role, um, I think it's, it's exciting because I know that, you know, I can become a better person out of it and a better player as well. So it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a big part of my makeup and, you know, I, you know, I feel just even as, you know, a person, you, you know, you constantly are striving to be better and, you know, you, you, kind of find ways to find new ways to do things. And that's something that'll, I think, last forever. You know, we will always, always be trying to improve, prove ourselves. Ryan, the assistant captains were also named, and I think we know what kind of leaders Tarasenko and Shen are, but in particular, Pareko, what do you see in him and how can you help groom him into a leader type? Well, he's already, you know, an amazing leader and probably one of the nicest guys on the planet. Um, you know, he truly is uh, an amazing guy that um, really cares about every single person and, um, you know, his game too, the way he performs. And, you know, he's a guy that just takes it over sometimes, which is very impressive to see. And and he has a, a ton of respect from everyone in this room. And, you know, it's not necessarily me teaching him. It's, you know, him constantly doing what he does. You know, he just has a presence. And, you know, I think... You know, with Petro being gone, I think his role um, enhances for sure, which I think he will do a great job of, yeah, elevating to it. So he's, uh, you know, he's a huge piece of this team, and it's it's exciting to see him. He'll be getting more opportunities. Ryan, you're going to be missing now Alex Steen, Jay Bomeister, Petro, and you mentioned Jake Allen. These are guys that have been staples in this locker room for a long time, and 
Steen mentioned yesterday that he feels you guys are going to be fine and just the closeness and the tightness of this group is, is, has really kept you guys together and feels like that's going to be the case moving forward. Do you feel like moving forward that that's going to have to be part of this culture of, uh, you know, taking you guys, uh, you know, transitioning from them to this group now? Yeah. Um, yeah. What those, what those guys built here is something special. You know, they, you know, they were really responsible for each other and made sure they competed at, you know, everything they did. And, you know, coming in here two years ago, I, I you know, really took notice of it and saw how important it was, it was. And, and again, we've, our leadership group has talked about it. That's something we want to maintain. And, you know, we want to, play like Steiner the way every time he touched the ice you know he played so hard and did whatever he could to win and you know that's why I think we are the team we are now and again we have to improve on as well so it's it's definitely carry on what these guys built um, and finding you know there's gonna be little little things that we have to find our own way but with the staples of kind of what's been what's been built here are definitely very important for us. Ryan, how tough is this season going to be just with the compressed schedule? More, you know, not many off days along the way. It's going to be lots of back-to-backs and long road trips. What's it going to be like? Yeah, it's going to be very difficult when you're kind of playing two teams back-to-back every time. You know, I can remember last year and, you know, that we always ended up playing Nashville back-to-back days and it's tough. It becomes a bit of a war out there, but... You know, as a group, we know it's going to be different. It's a difficult time for everyone, and it's unique. But, you know, I think we do good with this. I think we want to have those tight match matchups, and it'll be it'll be tough and exhausting. But I think the more we play teams, you know, the more competitive we get. You know, the more you know, like like a rival. So it, I think it does help us in ways. But um, you know, again, we have to be smart. We have to take care of our bodies. We have to you know do things very well. But, um, yeah, it's going to be unique, for sure. Ryan, how do you the dynamics playing in the, uh, playing in the West and the, 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 the alignment of teams, Vegas, uh, Colorado, and you're going, to see, you're going to see them a lot. You're going to play them like eight times, I guess. Yeah, it's going to be, yeah, a lot of tough matchups like that. And I think uh, our travel, too, our travel isn't great. Um, I think we got something like nine back to backs. It's going to be, um, it's going to be tricky for sure. But, um, you know, kind of what I said before, like, I, I like, I like our team for that. You know, I know the more times we play a team and the more emotional we get with them and competing, it, it helps us. We, we like it. And, um, yeah, that gives myself confidence and it was coaching staff confidence in that as well. That is the press conference. Ryan O'Reilly officially named the 23rd Blues captain in team history. If there's anything more that is said later on today, we'll make sure that we grab that for you. We'll play it for you the best of coming up here in just a little while. Again, if you missed the news of the day, Ryan O'Reilly, the 23rd captain in Blues history, Vladimir Tarasenko, Braden Shin, and Colton Pareko going to serve as the assistant captains underneath Ryan O'Reilly. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Ferrario, I don't think anything really, as you said right beforehand, nothing too surprising there. He says all of the right things. He has the sound, the makeup, everything that you would expect to hear from Ryan O'Reilly. Nothing has changed. It's just a new title, and it it sounded pretty much like I anticipated. Same for you? Yeah, def- 
Yeah, definitely with that, BK. I will say, though, one thing did stick out. You know, we had talked about it, and you said you expect him not to change anything and hope he doesn't. And Ryan O'Reilly actually said he hopes to change something because now it's more of a role of kind of putting himself out there and talking with guys. And, you know, Rob Ray had a great quote when we talked with him saying that you got to be able to call guys out, but you have to back it up when you call guys out. Ryan O'Reilly's a perfect one for that. He is a very nice guy in the locker room. But I would imagine that's going to be a challenge he's looking forward to, to be able to address his players when he needs to. Yeah, I think that's necessary. I just hope it doesn't change too much because... It, oh, you hope it doesn't change his him personality-wise, exactly. and I don't think it will. I don't either, and I just I go back to another thing that Rob Ray said. Like, the world was on Ryan O'Reilly's shoulders when he was in Buffalo. Right. And one thing that's not going to happen here, and God forbid, knock on wood, you don't expect this to becoming losing team all of a sudden. So that's not going to be something that is on his shoulders, but... If there's there's too much pressure, there are a lot of responsibilities that come along with being the captain. First of all, media obligations, stuff outside in, in, in St. Louis where you are inside of the community a lot, although Ryan O'Reilly already does a lot of that stuff. Um, right. The leadership in the room that you're talking about, it does does kind of pile up sometimes. And so I hope that doesn't become too much for him. I don't expect that it will, honestly. I, I don't think that's going to be something that is a problem for him. But that that would be my one. And as I said earlier, it's like a 5% concern. <laughs> that That's that's it. These are first world problems. You're not worried about it. The Blues have a great guy in place to be able to do this. And he certainly said all of the right things there. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, let's get back into the Cardinals. I want to ask Danny Mack about something that he was talking about earlier today with Randy Carricker. If the Cardinals do decide to bring back Yadier Molina, does that lessen the importance of bringing back Adam Wainwright as well? We'll get into that with Danny Mack as he joins us coming up on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by Cardinals broadcaster Danny Mack joining us here on the show. You can hear him weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock. Host of Scoops with Danny Mack. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Merry Christmas, guys. Doing well. Merry Christmas to you as well. Let's start things out with what I thought was a really interesting conversation you had with Randy earlier today. You guys were talking about the importance of Yachty and Wayno and coming back to the roster next year. You mentioned that if you're able to bring back Yachty or Molina, maybe that does lessen, although not completely eliminating, lessen the importance of bringing back Wayno because suddenly you feel a little bit better about the young pitchers throwing to Yachty. Can, can you explain that a little bit further? Because I thought it was really interesting when you were talking about that earlier today. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at the the check marks of bringing Yachty back, uh, one of the things that will not show up on a sabermetric or analytic spreadsheet is how he does handle young pitching. And if you look at what the Cardinals have potentially in the rotation next year, and I'm going to go ahead and say in my five, it's KK, Flaherty, Michaelis. We know those three. And then Gomber and Reyes are two guys that uh, do not have that kind of experience of a full season under their belt of being a starter. Hennessy's Cabrera is pitching in winter ball. He has been awesome. We know about his relationship with Carlos Martinez. Ryan Helsley could be a first-year starter. John Gant, a veteran, could be a starter. Johan Oviedo got a little taste of what it was like. Jake Woodford is young. Daniel Ponce de Leon. So when you start thinking about some of those young names, that guys that could be starters, and there's nine of them I just mentioned, without even talking about 
Liberator and Thompson that at some point could see big league time. You get the idea that his intangibles of handling young pitching and handling a pitching staff maybe outweigh some of the other things that you look at, maybe offensive deficiencies, aging player, that kind of thing. He's very, very important to a club. Whoever gets him is going to get what is, and it's cliche, but a coach on the field. So let me ask you this then, Dan, because if you do decide to go that route and you bring back Yachty and are unable to bring back Adam Wainwright, does that money then give the Cardinals the opportunity to go get that bat upgrade? Because we both were on that Zoom conference with Mike Schilt, Dan, last week, and Schilt talked about how he feels that it's important to get another bat in that batting order and said he hasn't tinkered with the lineup because he's expecting to have a bat upgrade. Certainly could, you know, especially if both don't come back. Uh, it frees up some some potential payroll that's there. They're still not set with what they think their payroll is going to be. I think they have a pretty good idea, but we don't know for certain because, uh, as we've been saying at Ozium, you know, we don't know fans in the stands, capacity, so on and so forth. But still, if this is a transition year, which in some ways it might be, and still a chance to win, this is about trying to find out what you have with your young outfielders. Stay, you know, we were saying the same thing last year, but if this is truly it, this is it. I mean, you got to find out, and then it's either cut bait or you move on with some of these guys. Um, but that then leads to, if you improve the club offensively, maybe look at a different position. Would that come from the infield? It's certainly not going to come probably that from uh, you know your first base or second base position. Uh, is it a slam dunk that Tommy Edmond is your second baseman? Currently constructed, yes. Is Carpenter a slam dunk at third? I guess currently constructed, yes. But you got to look at those two positions potentially as ways to improve as well. Okay, you mentioned Matt Carpenter, Dan. We're talking to Danny Matt, Cardinals broadcaster here on 101 ESPN. I heard yesterday, we played some audio from apparently Mike Schilt when I was out of town. And Mike Schilt said that it, he's not expecting right now, as Ferrario said, anybody to be in the batting order he doesn't know he hasn't tinkered with it yet but it is at least a possibility that Matt Carpenter could bat lead off for this team next year as currently constructed assuming no external improvements Dan who do you think is the best candidate to bat lead off for this team I'd, I'd look at Dexter Fowler uh I think Tommy Edmonds certainly would be in the conversation um I've even thought maybe outside the box of a Dylan Carlson looking at him um but I, I like him in the middle of my lineup. I especially like him maybe as a number two hitting in front of Goldschmidt. But, you know, to the Carpenter thing, where's he had his best success? Now, that success as a leadoff guy came earlier in his career, and I know fans may not want to hear this because he's had a couple of down years, and they've been tough years compared to where he was. But if this is where you get the best out of him, it's maybe something you think about. I'm not saying that you do it. Uh, the other problem with that is that you – Essentially, if he gets a single, you're looking at three hits to bring him in because he's not a, a burner. He's not going to be out there, you know, stealing bases and um, taking the extra base a lot of times. It's 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 a guy that's going to take three hits to get him in, or a couple of hits and a sack fly, and you know they just don't have that thump in the middle of their lineup. So they're they're at a little bit of a crossroads with that of not only you know, what do you do with Matt Carpenter, but where do you hit him in the lineup? I would at least look at the idea of it because he's had great success there in the numbers, and it's a long sample size. I mean, big sample size are glaring that he's been there, and maybe you jumpstart him a little bit and try to get the final year of that contract as much as you can out of it. Uh, but again, as we talk in right before Christmas, I, I don't think it's ideal. 
Well, Dan, uh, you know, you don't get told this enough, but you're a genius thinking of that way because uh, somebody else on this show <laughs> thought that way yesterday, and he was shot down by another person on this show. Yeah, so I'm just saying. the last time that we saw just him saying. bat lead off, he had a 625 OPS. <laughs> That's okay. not what Stop you living in the past. <laughs> Stop living well, in the past, BK. Here's where, here's where I'm going with it, is that he's in the final year of his deal. Mm-hmm. He's making a lot of money, and if this is a way to salvage the final year and to maybe get him – um, I don't know, just a different look, a shake-up, something different where he's had success in the past, which is the human element of this. It's not the what you're reading on your sheet there, BK, and it's factual what you read. That's maybe something you talk about, you tinker. Hey, is this something we could do? Is this something that yeah. maybe jump-starts them? I'm not saying they do it, but I I think maybe you have the conversation. So one thing that I would do, I remember whenever they were trying to jumpstart Colton Wong a few years back, they were like, you know what? We're going to have you as basically a second leadoff man at the bottom of our order. I'm going to tinker that way, Dan. I'm going to put Matt Carpenter like eighth (laughs) or ninth, and we're going to have multiple leadoff hitters uh, going that route. How's that sound instead? Well, here's the problem with that idea, which, by the way, on its surface, 100% right. It's just currently constructed. It looks like you may have a lot of seven, six, seven, eight, nine hitters outside of Goldschmidt, maybe outside Dylan Carlson, maybe O'Neill gives you the power you've been hoping for. And then there are a lot of six and seven guys. So you got to fit out, figure out a way to fit these people in these pieces in and, and make the most of it. But that's, that's the way it goes right now. Well, Dan, since we're talking about the third base position, I heard your your great interview with Brian Walton earlier today on Scoops with Danny Mack talking about how Nolan Gorman might not be as far away as we think he is. I mean, could we seriously see an impact from Nolan Gorman within the next year or two? Man, it's we were talking specifically about this upcoming season, and I think it dovetails a little bit into what's going on with Matt Carpenter or others. You know, if, if, you, if there's a need, there's a lot of factors, I think, that would go into it. Number one, he's only 20. He will not be 21 until May 10th. So keep that in mind. He's still a really young guy, and there's a lot of, you know, figuring out of where he's at once you start playing live games. The, 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 and I'm going to kind of jump around here. One of the things that Brian brought up, and I really wanted to follow up on it, but we were run out of time, is that in the satellite camp, and this goes for a lot of guys, and I hadn't really thought of it this way. It, it wasn't games, so it wasn't that live competition. They tried to make it as much of a game setting as they could. But Nolan Gorman was facing the top young prospects the Cardinals have, Liberator, Zach Thompson, Oviedo, and was having really good success against those guys. And the numbers were bearing that out statistically uh, through their analytics and how they view players. So that part is good. Now, as it pertains to coming up and making that jump to the big leagues, what's your need at that point? Uh, Is a third baseman struggling? Is your lineup struggling? Um, Where are you in the standings? And to the greater point, starting his clock, and I, I get concerned about any young player, and I had this concern even with Dylan Carlson. When you bring up a player and he doesn't have success, you hate to have to have them get buried and mentally have an issue where normal circumstances, you groom them along, you get them through the couple of weeks maybe of double-A that he would need potentially, and then you have a full triple-A season and get ingratiated into that level and then have the comfort level of making the jump. To ask him to make a jump at that age is a lot, but these are uncertain times, and if you need a fit and he's doing it in the minor leagues, why not? You bring him up. Last question that I had for you, Dan. I know you were super interested in this, and we talked about it a little bit yesterday as well. 
multiple, multiple major league managers have come out basically saying something to the effect of, hey, baseball's boring in 2020. It's not as yeah. much fun for me to watch. You watch as much baseball as literally anybody that I know. What'd you make of managers coming out and saying that the other day? First of all, I really do watch a ton of baseball. I know, I it's mean, insane. I, I am a total geek, and I'm proud of it. I go home, I watch games, I DVR games, I watch the Cardinal games, I sign up to the minor league package, I watch baseball. I love it. And I'm concerned. As a guy that loves the game, and these managers clearly love the game, they're paid handsomely, but they have a great long history, a great majority of them, of either playing or coaching or managing in Major League Baseball. When you hear them make public comments like that, you have to wonder, where are we with the sport? There's concern. There's some really big glaring numbers. I mean, the overall uh, strikeout rate last year was 24% in Major League uh, Baseball. That's the, the highest strikeout rate. And that is with, guys, the DH in play. Defensive shifts uh, leads to worse offense. And so balls batted in play, the average was 295. Uh, the overall batting average was 245. That's the lowest since 1972. Those are glaring numbers, and we, we sometimes forget, yes, it's wins and losses. I want to beat you. You want to beat me. We go up in the standings. We try to pack the stands, and we go to the World Series. Yes, but part of packing the stands is making it entertaining. And if, if, if there's a three outcome, which is what we've gotten right now, strikeout, home run, walk, and that's the way teams are built, and you're looking at offenses that are like that, and guys are taught launch angle, that's the way they get to the big leagues, we got a problem. And so do we get back to the pendulum swing back the other way to where maybe there's more hitting, hitting behind a runner, bunting, uh, bunting hit and run, I don't care, stealing bases, something. I thought when Mike Schilt first took over, he did a great job of being ultra-aggressive and took advantage of teams and almost snuck into the playoffs because of it. I wonder because they could be at um, – their strength is not offense currently constructed. If he gets back to that, even if the numbers say, eh, don't do it on this particular pitch or this guy or that combination, do it. I mean, why not? It's still about trying to entertain, and that's where I get concerned is that our younger fans watch that or they go watch the Blues – which is so exciting, or you go watch um, LeBron and, and KD and these guys last night, I, you know, you compare it to watching a baseball game where there's not a lot of activity. If you're the sport, you've got to be concerned about it, and it's not just people like me that watch the game and are saying, man, this is a different game I'm watching, which is fine. I still love baseball, and it is what it is, but the numbers are bearing it out that we have to have more activity in the game. I'm with you, Dan. I hope that they're able to find a way to do it. My concern, though, is just that the pitching has gotten so good that yeah. as much as we talk about the shifts and all of these, the, the launch angles and all of that, I I, th I think it might be the pitching that's leading to the majority of these issues. There, there are certainly ways to alleviate some of the other problems, but I, I think it's almost like you got a car that the engine isn't running correctly and you're worried about whether or not the stereo is going to be able to yeah. turn up to the, the, the loudness that you would like. And it, you know, it's a great point. Like Randy brought up the point. We don't see guys bunt this morning, right? We, we never see bunting. And it was uh, an indictment of the sport in a way when you had a runner at second. And I know that the numbers say, don't bunt, don't bunt. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. I no, not when the game's on the line, you're telling me 20 years ago that you wouldn't see most managers bunt a guy to third and take their chances with less than two outs. A lot of them would, a ton of them would, or ask their player to give themselves up and hit the ball to the right side and move that runner over. And one of the reasons that maybe you don't see it is to your point, BK, every guy coming out of that bullpen is throwing a 98 with sync and with great movement. So that part of the game has changed. 
I do think you can change the strike zone. I do think you can limit shifts. I think it would help. I also think you can speed up the game with clocks mm-hmm. if you had to go that route. But you're right. There's a lot of issues with the game, but maybe the the one thing we're missing the, the point of is that these guys are just damn good. and. <laughs> They make it really hard to do these things. It's getting that's, really hard. It's really valid. It's kind of like in basketball. Like, there's just better shooters. I don't know what to tell you about the defense. Like, they're going to score right. 115 points in the NBA now because they're shooting from half court, and it's a 40% shot. It's insane. Right. Guys pull up. I'll never forget this. I know you guys got to run. But it was during an NBA lockout. I was playing pickup basketball, and I was down at the Atlantic, uh, Atlanta like rec center or something. It was like their version of a high-end YMCA or something, whatever. And – all of a sudden, I saw. I go, man, that looks like Kenny Anderson, and it was. It was Kenny Anderson. Now I look over. I go, man, that looks like the Barry Brothers, and they strolled in. So what it was, it wound up being an agent during a lockout or whatever the se- the season was going on. The guys needed to work out. Okay, so they're coming into this this gym, and we step aside because I just want to watch. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be awesome watching these guys go through workouts. Guys, they didn't miss. They didn't miss. Like, there wasn't a hand in their face, and they didn't miss. And I remember walking away from that going, that's why these guys are so good. They don't miss. They had the the guards shooting from well beyond three-point territory, and the bigs were shooting from three and not missing. And I thought, this is crazy. But when you see that in person, you start to realize these guys are just on a different planet, stratosphere, whatever. They're awesome athletes, and maybe that's what we're having in baseball right now. Absolutely. It's it's a fascinating issue that baseball has to find an answer for, and I, I, the answers are few and far between to me. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. You can hear him weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock. Scoops with Danny Mack right here on 101 ESPN. Also, the, tomorrow as well, you will be able to hear him live on Carriker and Smallman from 7 to 10 a.m. Dan, all, all the best to you and the fam, man. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and we'll see you again soon. I think to make it truly a, a good feeling within the everybody that works at the station, because we're like a, a family, you guys can come on in and probably should come on in between at some point, 7 and 10, and we'll carve out a segment or two. See you next week, Dan. All the best, buddy. Here's yep. Danny Mack right here <laughs> on 101 ESPN. I, I think that the baseball issues right now, Ferrario are fascinating and I don't think that there's a solution for them like we said with Dan like there are things you can do to make it better and they should be done right the pitch clock I'm all in favor of it if you want to shrink the strike zone a little bit all in favor of that if you want to eliminate the shift I got no issues with it I think it's probably a little overstated in terms of what the shift has done but whatever I I am not opposed to any of these things I still think we're going to run into some very similar issues, though, because the pitching is so damn good right now, and there are so many of them coming in out of a bullpen. You've got like seven, eight dudes on any given team any night that at a minimum, a minimum, have a 96-plus mile-an-hour fastball and a slider from hell. How do you hit that? I, it, it's, it's a fascinating issue for baseball. Well, and the same can be said for the offensive players, too. I mean, you get a lot of pride with these guys that know that they're better than, oh, I'm just going to lay down a bunt to move this guy over who's on second base with no outs, or, oh, I'm going to get myself out with a fly to right field so I can move him over. These guys got pride in themselves, and we see it firsthand with a lot of players here in St. Louis. So I think that's the other struggle that a lot of managers have, knowing that it's like, well, I I trust this guy. This guy can get it done, so we're going to let him take the bat and swing away. I think there's just a difference with the players right now than what it was in the past as well. For sure. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. One last thing that I wanted to get to here before we get into the junk drawer coming up next. 
So he mentioned it's really hard right now to make a lineup where you would have Matt Carpenter batting ninth, right? He's right. However, I think I've done it for Ario. I think I have come up with a lineup <laughs> for the Still Cardinals going for it. as currently constructed where Matt Carpenter would bat ninth. So here's what I've got. Okay. Tommy Edmond is your leadoff hitter right now. I'm on board. Dylan Carlson batting second. Paul Goldschmidt batting third. Paul DeYoung batting cleanup. Okay. Here's where it gets a little tough. I'm going to be honest with you. Don't do it. <laughs> Dexter Fowler, as a switch hitter, is going to be batting fifth for you. Tyler O'Neill with his power is going to come in sixth. Whoever is playing catcher for you will be batting seventh. Kisner, Yachty, whoever. Even if that's Wheaties? Then we'll, we'll switch this up at that point. But I'm going <laughs> to assume that at the very minimum it's going to be Kisner. You bat Bader eighth, Carpenter ninth, and that's how you go with the lineup. So your bottom, basically the guys that would be, you kind of know what the top four is, the same construction as last year for the most part. Fowler fifth, O'Neill sixth, catcher seventh, Bader eighth, Carpenter ninth. That's a really bad bottom of your order. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It, you've got a lot of what will feel at the time whenever they're coming up at the end of games, like automatic outs. I mm -hmm. don't know how else you construct it because I want my worst hitters getting the fewest amount of at-bats over the season. And ultimately, you know, that's what this would do. Here's my issue with it, though, BK. It's you got Carpenter in between two fast guys in Bader and Edmund. And I'm not saying Carpenter's going to get on base that much, but if you got Bader on base and you're going to take the chance with him running and then you put Carpenter behind him and then you get your leadoff guy with Edmund, you get a slow guy in between a couple of fast guys and there's a little bit of an issue there. I, I think it makes the most sense because you want to bury that bat. But let's be honest, if we're if we're putting him in this many times, you're hoping that that bat can at least be suitable. So I would say you kind of put him in between a Fowler and a Molina, maybe, to where he's still towards the bottom of that batting order. Do you know how many double going... plays you're about to hit into if you have Molina behind Carpenter? That's that's the Not thing that I'm hoping to avoid is getting rid of some of those double plays with Bader before him and Edmund coming up after him. It, yeah, it, it at least helps double... you from that respect. I guess you can't get into double plays if Bader's not getting on base, nor Matt Carpenter. He's right? Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up at 1 o'clock, Illini fan, you're, you're going to want to tune in for this. The Illinois Athletic Director, Josh Whitman, is going to join us to talk about what led the Illini to Brett Bielema. That's coming up at 1 o'clock. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues at 1.30, on the official announcement today that the Blues have announced their 23rd captain in team history is going to be Ryan O'Reilly. But coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer right here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Powered by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go Blues. Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, going to join us coming up at 1.30 to discuss further the official announcement today that Ryan O'Reilly is the next Blues captain. Coming up in about 15 minutes, though, Josh Whitman, the Illinois Athletic Director, talking about why he decided Brett Bielema is the best man for the job for the Fighting Illini. That's coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex Ferrario, would you mind getting us started today, my man? Let me get you started, BK, because I got a holiday junk drawer for us all today. Um, I have a personal bone to pick with a article I read the other day that voted Rudolph as a overrated Christmas movie and Christmas song. This is a personal gripe for me, man. I don't understand how Rudolph can be overrated. Everything about this story 
is Christmas. Rudolph saves the day. Santa Claus gets all of his presents delivered to the children. He's the odd one out. He's bullied, and he makes sure that everyone understands that he is not any different from anyone else, and there's elves in it. You explain to me how this is an overrated Christmas movie. This is a trash article, and it really pissed me off. I had no idea you were so... uh so strong in your takes about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, this is one of the best Christmas movies out there. It's fine. I got no issue no, with it. No, it's not fine. No, it's not fine, BK. I... It's not fine. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Elf. Elf is easily my favorite Christmas movie. Okay, and it, that is a great Christmas movie. It is number but one is... on my list. In fact, let's go ahead and combine our junk drawers today. Because mine is okay. very similar. It is not an overrated Christmas movie. However, there is a list that has been released. It is a map, if you will, of each state's favorite Christmas movie. Any guesses on what Missouri's favorite Christmas movie is? I would say it is... It's not going to be Rudolph, because apparently I'm the odd one out I'm with actually, this one. I'm actually... I'm 99% sure Rudolph is not listed on a single one of these states. Missouri, what are we doing here? This is this is terrible. You're ruining Christmas Christmas right now. Uh, I would say Missouri's would either have to be a Christmas story or Elf. One of those two. No and no. How about the Polar Express, which is a good Christmas movie? What are you doing? Okay. What are you doing? What? No. What are you doing? Polar Express. That's a good Christmas the, movie. It's a great Christmas Tom movie, Hanks. but it shouldn't. But it shouldn't be at this level right now. I would put the Muppets Christmas Carol before I would put the Pup D Polar Express on this list. I'm pretty certain. Oh, that is it. That is one. There is one okay. state where that is the favorite movie. I'll have to find it on here, but I do not know where. It looks like that is Massachusetts. Their favorite movie, Christmas movie, is Massachusetts the Muppets is a, Christmas Carol. That's a Edward smart place. Somebody... Hands is multiple states' favorite okay. Christmas movie. Is that even a Christmas movie? I'm trying to see. That's the thing about Christmas movies, right? Is like Die Hard. There's three states that that's the favorite Christmas movie. Are Christmas movies movies about Christmas or movies that take place during the Christmas season? Because now, those that's are a two great very different things. If it is a movie that takes place during the Christmas season, you can add a number of different movies into this mix, right? Like Home Alone yeah. is. I know we watch it around Christmas time. I'm not even so sure that that is a Christmas movie. No, honestly, it's about burglary. It's about burglary with one of the best actors of all time and Joe Pesci. So that's not even a Christmas movie. Somebody texted in, did Ferrario go to bed and wake up a grumpy 80 year old man today? <laughs> Apparently I did. That's his because, thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I made a reference to video games earlier that did make me sound like a, a angry old get off my lawn person. And then, and then this trash, BK, Rudolph is not a movie, it's a TV special. Get out of here. Wait, what? Get out of here, sir. Saying Rudolph is not a movie, it's a TV special. It is a movie, I own the DVD. Um, apparently Rent is the favorite Christmas movie for a state. Rent. Is that a Christmas movie? Are we considering that a Christmas movie now? What's going on here? Well, are we just, I mean, <laughs> are we just deciding that everything, everything that was filmed during the winter if there is snow at any point <laughs> during the movie, you have now qualified officially as a Christmas movie. Apparently, that's what this is because I I know for a fact that that rent is nothing to do with Christmas. <laughs> I think it's during the 
winter season, but right. it's not have if it's nothing to do with Christmas involved with it. And that's the argument with Die Hard. Everyone, our guy Randy Carricker believes Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I'm with him. That's a Christmas movie. But based on it's what? not it, based on it's on the holiday season. It's at a Christmas party at the work. Yeah, but it's not about Christmas. Like Elf what? is about it is about is it an, it's about Buddy the Elf finding his father, leaving the North Pole to go to New York City to be reacclimated with his biological father. That is a movie about Christmas. Uh, it's about an orphan. It's about an orphan, right? Rudolph. It's about an orphan finding his father. It's quite literally about one of the reindeer that propels the sleigh for Santa Claus. He saved Christmas. How are we not talking? This is a, this is a underrated movie that everyone is not understanding. Rudolph saves Christmas. Somebody says is Rambo first blood a Christmas movie? Every bit <laughs> as much as any of these others are. Every bit as much. <laughs> I didn't even know Rambo First Blood took place during Christmas time, so that I'm going to have to go back and watch. I'm a huge Sly Stone guy. Well, hell, let's make Rocky then. Rocky Three, a Christmas movie because he fought Clubber Lang around Christmas time. Bingo! See, 65780 right? is the air comfort service text line from the 618. You guys are morons. Home Alone takes place during Christmas. The family leaves him alone to go on Christmas vacation to Paris, and for God's sakes, he visits Santa at one point. It's not about Christmas, though. Somebody else says Batman Returns is clearly a Christmas movie. Then. Someone said Predator Absolutely. is my favorite Christmas movie. Like, this is the thing. It, it is, are they about Christmas or were they filmed when it happened to be snowing? Like right. those Rocky Five was Tommy Dreamer or not Tommy Dreamer. Uh, Tommy, uh, I forgot what his last name is, but Tommy basically fights Rocky in the alley on Christmas Eve. So Rocky Five is a Christmas movie now, apparently. See, I, I just, I feel like we have arrived at a place where everything qualifies as a Christmas movie at this point. I, I, I feel like we've got to have a little bit more integrity when we are discussing yeah. something as important as the list agree. of the best Christmas movies. I mean, if, yeah. if we're not able to have integrity for this, what are we able to have integrity yeah. about? kind of world are we living in if we're going to sit here and just discuss these movies as Christmas there has to be a clear differentiator of I don't think that's a word but I'm going to make it a word BK it has to be clear what a Christmas movie is and what a Christmas movie not is so we need to discover these and we need to make it official by the way um saw for the first time last night Carol was watching it uh meet me in St. Louis yeah solid great solid. movie um, gr great's a little strong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you I gotta like that, that movie then. Yeah, uh, yeah. solid. Not what about not mentioned on the list for a single state though. No state in America has that as their favorite Christmas movie. And see, that's a movie that is is centered around Christmas. It is about Christmas, so that should be on this Absolutely. list. Have you seen BK? It's a Wonderful Life. I have indeed. It's a good movie. Again, not great, not uh, great. I would say it's great, but, but okay. a good movie nonetheless. You know what I am actually surprised by? What? I don't see a Christmas story listed that's for a single a, state. That's because that's a terrible Christmas movie. What? terrible christmas movie it's overrated overrated that one is sure because some people would say that it is their favorite i don't yeah. think that it is that however the fact that there isn't a single state that has it as their favorite christmas movie i would say is first of all a bit of a surprise yeah. and second yeah. of all means that it is actually properly rated as a good but not great christmas movie
Someone said The Gray with Liam Neeson is a Christmas movie because there's snow. Somebody else is very upset from the 636. You guys are bleeping idiots. All fair. That's true. All That's fair. true. Guilty on all counts. Yeah. He's Alex Ferrario. Instead of calling us you guys next time, he's Alex Ferrario. <laughs> I am Randy Carricker. Just kidding. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 <laughs> ESPN. Coming up here in about 30 minutes or so, we will have the great pleasure of talking to the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, on the day that Ryan O'Reilly has officially been announced as the 23rd captain in blues history. But coming up next, Illinois fans, you're going to want to listen to this. Josh Whitman, the Illinois athletic director, is going to come up, join us coming up next to talk about what led the Illini to Brett Bielema as their next football coach. We'll talk to Josh Whitman, the Illinois athletic director, right here on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Josh Whitman, the Illinois Athletic Director, joining us here on the show. It is 101. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Josh, we sincerely appreciate the time today. I know it's been a busy time for you over in Illinois. How's everything going today? Everything's going great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We appreciate you taking the time. So earlier this week, you, of course, made the huge announcement for Illinois football that Brett Bielema is going to be the next Illini football coach. Can you give us a little bit of insight into the process that ultimately led you to Brett Bielema as your next coach? It was important to us that we that we develop a profile for what we were looking in our in our next coach. And we focused on characteristics like leadership. We wanted confidence. We wanted someone who had uh, won at the highest level, somebody who uh, had demonstrated an ability to go out and, and cast a vision for recruits who could develop players uh, in terms of uh, reaching their full potential. Uh, we wanted somebody who had great presence and, and was able to create relationships, connections with players, with staff, someone who had a history of, of hiring strong staff around him. Uh, and as we looked at, at different people and, and compared them against those characteristics and, and many others that uh, ultimately, you know, Brett's name emerged to, to the top of that list. And then as we worked through our process and spent more time talking to him and to other people about him, it just became clear that, uh, that he was the best choice for us and the right leader to take uh, Illinois football to the next level. Josh, how much of this decision went into uh, Brett's pass of coaching in the in the Big Ten, the success that he had at Wisconsin? I know most recently it was with Arkansas, but uh, a three-time coach of the year in the Big Ten, how much of that went into the decision? It was absolutely a consideration. We had someone who grew up in our state, in the state of Illinois, who played football at, at Iowa, who coached at Iowa, who coached at Wisconsin, uh, so somebody who clearly is familiar with, with our geography, with our footprint, uh, who's had success in our conference, uh, those were all things that were that were certainly of interest to us and I think helped to, to push him toward the top of that list. We're talking to Josh Whitman, Illinois Athletic Director here on 101 ESPN. I did want to ask you, I think, uh, for Illini fans, one of, the, one of the few concerns that they might have about the hire would just be – Bielema has been known in the past to play a certain style offensively, and it's I think he's coined it man ball, right, where he's just very physical. He's all about the offensive line. He's going to run it down your throat. 
with the other teams that are in your division, is there any concern about running a similar style to what you're already seeing from Iowa and Wisconsin? Is that something that factored into this decision? Or have you heard from Brett that maybe he's more open to changing the offensive style that he's going to play with? I think there's two pieces to that answer. I think, number one, we're, we're always going to champion a physical football team. I, I think toughness, physicality in the game of football never goes out of style. I think that's something that's imperative to have success, certainly in a, a rugged division like the Big Ten West. Uh, and so I, I really like that about Brett's uh, identity. I really like that about his teams. Uh, I do think that you will see – uh, a somewhat modified approach offensively from him. Is, and I think he's talked openly about that here over the last several days. I, I, I know that there will be those those uh, I, those identities that will be carried forward from his teams at Wisconsin and in Arkansas, the things you talked about with toughness and physicality. But I, I do think that uh, you'll see a slightly different approach, a slightly different philosophy in terms of, uh, of who he brings in as his offensive coordinator. And I, I think uh, we all understand the game's evolving and, uh, and Brett certainly wants to be a part of that evolution and, and thinks that we can do some pretty cutting-edge things on the offensive side of the football. Josh, I'm curious. I know it's a different conference, but uh, when you see what uh, what Mizzou has done with Eli Drinkwitz and how fast the excitement has come with him being the head coach of of the football program, did that help sway the decision with the Brett Bielma as well to to bring that that excitement back to the Fighting Illini program? I think that, you know, I, I don't know that we've looked at any one program and said, boy, we should we should go do that. I, I think everybody wants to have rapid success. Everybody wants to generate enthusiasm and excitement around their program. And, and certainly uh, Missouri has been able to capture that here over the last year. And I, I think we've seen that occur at a handful of other programs across the Big Ten and around the country. And uh, so absolutely, I, I think that Brett's personality lends itself well to uh, developing that that connection with our with our community with our fans, uh, he's he's really an easygoing guy. He's he's got a way about him where he uh, quickly identifies common ground with people. He, he's quick to form relationships. And we've already seen that with our with our team, uh, and I think that we'll see that with the staff. And, and he's been great in the the opportunities we've we've had here in, in the short few days we've been together to to work with some of our donors, our ticket holders, uh, and so I expect that will just continue to grow and. We'll see enthusiasm uh, snowball here around the program as we head into the new season. Illinois Athletic Director Josh Whitman here on 101 ESPN. The last football question that I wanted to ask you about, Josh, was the recruiting base here in St. Louis. I know it's been – we hear it all the time from Eli Drinkwitz. He talks about it, and we heard it from Lovey Smith as well, the importance of being able to recruit this area in particular to be able to have success. How important is that going to be, once again, for Brett Bielema to be able to come into St. Louis and have success recruiting here in, in a way that he, he did at times at Arkansas? I think it's key. There's no question that one of the advantages of, of being in Champaign is that we've got some, some really successful high school football played in, in a nice radius around our, our campus. And so whether you're talking about St. Louis, which obviously has tremendous talent, uh, Chicago, Indianapolis, uh, some of the downstate areas in Illinois, uh, I think all those things are, are really important for us. And, and we needed to see our, our high school recruiting take some steps forward and, and a big focus of that has to be in St. Louis. There, there's great talent in St. Louis. Uh, we have a longstanding tradition of, of bringing some really uh, strong players up out of the St. Louis area and turning them into fighting Illini legends. You look at people like Dana Howard. Uh, he's come up and, and really 
changed our program. And, uh, and there's a lot of other people who have done the same thing. And so that's uh, that's certainly a tradition that we want to capitalize on, build upon. And uh, I think that, uh, that Brett's really well positioned to do that for us. Josh, from an athletic director's perspective, what has this season been like navigating through two major seasons, of course, with college football and right now in college basketball? What, what's it what's it been like or what are the difficulties of, of being an athletic director in 2020 right now? Josh, this has to be a nightmare. I can't even imagine what your daily situation <laughs> looks like. I, like. You don't know the day of the game sometimes whether or not there's going to be a game played. I can't imagine what your day-to-day is right now. It's a it's a daily challenge, and every every day is a new adventure. I'm actually out in State College today with our men's basketball team. We play Penn State tonight, and you know, we all went and, and did our COVID testing this morning. And yeah, there's this moment where you kind of hold your breath and wait for the for the folks to come out of the testing room and with the thumbs up and say everybody's good. And uh, until you get that, you don't know if you're going to be able to play tonight or not. Yesterday we had a a women's basketball game that was scheduled in the afternoon and. One of the uh, the players on the opposing team tested positive, and the, the game was off. And you know, you wake up in the morning, you think you're going to a game, and then a couple hours later, things things pivot 180 degrees. And that's that's really been, I think, the the mantra of this entire experience is that things that at one point, not too long ago, we would have considered unthinkable, all of a sudden become the norm. You think back to football season, we didn't have a schedule until just a you know a week or two before the first game. And uh, basketball was the same thing. We We've got a bunch of our, our winter and spring sports that are going to get started here shortly after the first of the year, and we don't have schedules for them. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, the picture is always changing, and um, it's it's really pushed, I think, our ability to be patient. It's pushed our ability to be creative. Um, and I, I just have such appreciation for our staff, our student-athletes. I mean, the, the work that they have put in to make these opportunities possible for the for our student athletes is, is really pretty remarkable. And uh, I know we're all looking forward to putting this in our rearview mirror, but uh, we certainly learned a lot about ourselves and about each other uh, during this experience. And I hope, uh, I hope it's short lived from this point forward, but uh, it's, uh, it's something I think will certainly made us stronger in the long run. As a little bit of a follow-up question to that, Josh, I, th- I think it's, it was really impressive the way that for certain teams this year, I mean, they were able to e- even at times like BYU coastal, the week of a game, we're able to put together a game. I'm curious from your perspective, do you think moving forward it would be possible to, instead of 10, 15, even sometimes 20 years down the road, scheduling these non-conference games, is it possible we could get to a place where maybe a year or two years out we are able to do that? So that way you have a better idea of what the programs are going to look like as the games start getting a little bit closer. Is that maybe one silver lining that could come from this year in your opinion? I think it could be. I think it could be. I'm not entirely sure, you know, why we've gotten in the practice of scheduling these games out so far in advance. Um, I guess it's everybody's worried that we're in a game of musical chairs and that when the music stops, we won't have a place to sit down. But I, I, I just think that um, you're right. I mean, it's it's hard to predict where a program's going to be five years from now, let alone ten years from now. And if you're trying to to put a particular schedule together to match where you think your program may be at that point in time, it's, it's difficult. And so what you end up doing a lot of times is you, you put some things down on paper, and then as you get in that two-, three-year window, you start to modify. You look at it, and you, you have to buy your way out of contracts. You have to uh, to trade some dates. And, and so the, the, the schedule is always fluid. Um, but I, I, I would think that this has certainly shown us 
that uh, were a little more flexible than perhaps we realized and that some of our uh, longstanding doctrine about how we have to approach uh, various pieces of our program, including scheduling, maybe aren't as needed as, uh, as we one time thought they were or as sacred as, as we thought they needed to be. And so I think uh, scheduling may be one area that's affected by this in the long term. I'm sure there are other things that will, that will change in terms of our uh, standard practices as we move out of this, uh, this experience. Last question for us, for you as we're talking with Illinois Athletic Director Josh Whitman here on 101 ESPN. This has been a difficult year for everybody, but certainly as well that it included in that is college sports financially. You're not able to have your typical fans in the stands, especially for college basketball right now. And I, I've got to imagine, given how good Illinois basketball is, that it's going to be something that hurts. How are you guys dealing with the financial losses and, and, and what – for you as the athletic director, how difficult is this to navigate financially right now? It's a challenge. There's no question. Uh, certainly we, we only have a few major revenue streams. And uh, one of those, as you would expect, is uh, in-person attendance at, at our events. And in particular at our football and men's basketball games, you've got revenue tied to premium seating. You've got revenue tied to parking and concessions. Uh, even revenue tied to our annual giving program sometimes is uh, largely contingent on people getting priority to access certain seats inside the building. Uh, and so it is, it's, uh, it's been a daily, a daily struggle. Again, I give a lot of credit to our staff. We've been successful in putting in, in place a, a lot of different uh, cost savings measures here since the pandemic began that have allowed us to uh, really mitigate against some of the, the bigger numbers that uh, at one point we were projecting. Um, so it will, it will be a, uh, a challenge for us as we head toward the end of the fiscal year, but we feel like we've got a good plan in place. And again, through uh, the efforts of, of everyone involved in, in the Illinois athletic program, we've been able to, to navigate, I think, uh, this situation about as efficiently and effectively as we could. It uh, doesn't mean that uh, you know, we're going to be able to get through it unscathed, but I feel like we have a good long-term plan to recover. It'll take some time. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think, and again, if, if there are some silver linings, I think it's it's probably pushed us. And, and I think a lot of our uh, peer programs across the country that, that think a little bit differently uh, about how we approach different elements of our operation and maybe uh, focus a little more on being efficient, focus a little more on wants versus needs. I think we all, those of us who are parents, <laughs> we know that line when you talk to your kids. But uh, this has certainly put that on, on much uh, much more full display and, uh, and allowed us to focus on that uh, very important question as we make uh, decisions about how to, how to allocate our resources. Well, Josh, we're looking forward to watching your basketball team tonight. Illinois versus Penn State, a big game for them in the Big Ten. We are certainly looking forward to seeing how the football coaching staff uh, shapes out for Brett Bielema, Brett Bielema as well. All the best to you and the family. A Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to all of you. Hopefully you stay safe and stay healthy out there. Thanks so much for the time today, Josh. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Thank Absolutely. you. That is Thanks, Illinois Josh. Athletic Director Josh Whitman joining us here on 101 ESPN. I made my thoughts knowing about the hire the other day, yesterday, as we kind of talked about this a little bit, Ferrario. It, mm-hmm. it is objectively, I mean, if you are Illinois or any Power 5 team right now, frankly, that's not a blue blood, so you're not USC, Texas, Alabama, Florida, getting a former Power 5 coach is a good get. There is no other way to look at it. 
I, I have some questions. I have a few concerns about the offensive system. I'm going to take him at his word, though. That's all I can do right now. I'm going to take him at his word that he has learned, that there are going to be some modern influences in his current offense. And if he does that, this can be a good hire. We've seen God only knows how many former head coaches that failed somewhere that learned from their experience and went on to have more success elsewhere. This can be a really good hire for the Illini. I'm not sure what the ceiling is for it, but I think at a very minimum, he can do what Lovey was brought in, which is to bring a little bit of respectability back to the program. I, I'm guessing if I had to kind of, if we gave J Josh Whitman some truth serum, I think that's probably what he would say he was looking for in this hire is he was looking for somebody that could bring respectability and six and six, seven and five back to the Illinois football program. Yeah, and it comes down to recruiting and local recruiting, and I think Brett Bielma is going to make it competitive with Eli Drinkwitz, mostly because when you look at Bielma, and I saw Illinois tweeted out yet last night, the amount of NFL players that have made it to the NFL under Bielma's coaching is impressive in itself. So locally recruiting, it's going to be a task for both sides, but I think Bielma is going to be able to do that, knowing the Big Ten and having that NFL experience. So that's what it comes down to, and that's what's going to be the most intriguing when it comes to the Fighting Illini. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to Josh Whitman for joining us today. I know it's an unbelievably busy time for any athletic director out there. I hope, he, I hope he's right when he says, by the way, that they can get a little bit more flexible with their scheduling for the future. It's insane. I looked this up a little bit ago. Illinois has games scheduled out to like 2032. Think about That's that. Ridiculous. Like your kids, if your kid is six years old right now, Illinois has a game scheduled for when they graduate high school. Like that's how far out there, or 2035, excuse me, is their, their furthest one out. So you could have a kid this year who will have a driver's permit by the time Mizzou plays Illinois in 2035, and that game is already scheduled. It, it's, a, it's a laughable way to that's go wild, about man. this. I, I don't understand why we're still doing it this way, and hopefully, hopefully, it is able to get corrected moving forward because of what we saw this year. I mean, if Coastal and BYU on Wednesday can decide, hey, we're going to play on Saturday – I think we can decide can one decide or two in years in advance whether yeah. or not you're going to be playing somebody the following year. So hopefully he's right on that. Coming up next, the Cardinals are putting an awful lot of eggs in the Matt Carpenter basket. We'll tell you about it coming up next. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN, and I've got a bone to pick. <laughs> oh, here we go. I'm very confused how we arrived at this place. I think we're going through the stages of grief together right now. Like, we've gone through everything, and now we have arrived at acceptance. And Is what this I'm... about Rudolph again, BK? Nope, totally different. I am talking, of course, about Matt Carpenter. Because... A few weeks ago, we had this conversation, Ferrario, and I said, I'm pretty sure Matt Carpenter is going to start every day at third base. You're like, no, mm -hmm. absolutely not. They're going to sign my guy, Scopey. Scopey's going to be playing right. second base for them. They're going to move Admin over to third, and everything's going to be fine, BK. It's all going to be okay. Yep. We've moved on from that now. <laughs> Cardinals yeah, fans have now arrived at a place where we have not only accepted that Matt Carpenter is probably going to be playing 
if not every day, most days at third base. We are now trying to convince ourselves that Matt Carpenter might be best off in the leadoff spot where he can get the most at-bats of anybody on the entire team. I was reading Ben Fredrickson's Q&A yesterday that he did on the post Dispatches website. And somebody asked him about Matt Carpenter and what the uh, what the plan is this offseason now, what Ben Fred believes the plan is going to be based on the fact that right now Carpenter would be their starting third baseman. Here's what Ben Fred had to say. Quote, what I think is going to happen is the Cardinals dedicate another season to the current outfield options. They dedicate another shot to Matt Carpenter, at least entering the spring. And they make a move to help the lineup by adding somebody to, uh, that could be a proven DH more so than what they had a year ago in that spot. And then they just kind of roll with that. So, again, current outfield, another shot to Matt Carpenter, add one player via DH, and that's kind of the way they go. I think that's where I'm at too, right? The problem is I was listening to Carriker and Dan earlier today, and they they go get into the leadoff thing, and then they're also talking about, hey, there's a leadership void on the club as well because you potentially are losing Wayno and Yachty and Colton Wong. Who's going to fill that void? And they're like, well, you know, Matt Carpenter makes a lot of sense for that. Oh, jeez. Are we just are we throwing all of this onto Matt Carpenter? Are we, are we putting all of our eggs at this point in the Matt Carpenter basket? He's going to be the leader. He's going to be your leadoff hitter. He's going to be your starting third baseman. Are we forgetting what it was like to watch him? Last year and the year before that, like, what, what, what am I missing here, Ferrario? Am I missing something here? No, I mean, I think the leadership role of this is more so he's the he's going to if you don't have Yachty or Ueno, he's going to be the longest tenured Cardinal. Like you're transitioning into this younger group. And how do you transition? Well, you have a guy who's there that can kind of transition into the next core of people that won't be there. So unfortunately, Carpenter and Fowler are going to be the leaders of this locker room, along with a Paul DeYoung, along with a Jack Flaherty, because you're going with guys who are tenured, but you're going with guys who have a voice. Like Colton Wong would have been a perfect leader, but of course they didn't bring him back. So you're kind of in that role. Look, it's not the best case scenario with Matt Carpenter because you have better options. Fowler, Edmund in the leadoff spot. I can see those two. Those two would be better options. But if you're going to play Matt Carpenter and you have to have his bat in there, you don't, I mean, I say have to because frankly you have nothing else. Why not put him in a position that he succeeded in the past? And I understand 2019 was not good for him in the leadoff spot. 2019 wasn't good for him anywhere other than the bench. But I'm going off of what other people have said. Matt Holiday on the fast lane a week ago. Mike Schilt, the offseason training. Matt Carpenter's working on this. He was going to be good too. He told us before Uh, this season that this was going to be a big bounce back year for Carp. It's his buddy. I'm not, this is not me knocking Matt Holiday, but it's his buddy and he's seen him perform at a really high level. So, of course, he's going to say that it's going to be okay, no matter where he ends up batting. But that's all we can go off of, that and then our our track record. And our track record is poor play. But again, what are your other options? Are you going to play Edmundo Sosa there every day? Are you going to play Ohiris Montero there every day? I'd or a it. Nolan Gorman? I'd prefer it too, but they're not going to because Matt Carpenter's making $18.5 million. So if he's going to play, I need to get the best I can get out of Matt Carpenter. And track record has shown me that he can do that in the leadoff position. If it doesn't work, then guess what, BK? We move on from that experiment and you drop him down in the batting order. But if he's going to be in there, 
you need to get what you can from him, and I think at least it's worth a shot to see if he can replicate what he did in 2018. See, and I think that's like doubling down on a bad argument that you have with your girlfriend or your fiance or your wife, right? Well, I like, lose those too, BK. <laughs> right, same. But sometimes, <laughs> like, I'll say something stupid to Kara, and I get in trouble for it, right? And then I try to double down on that exact same argument by explaining how it wasn't actually a stupid thing to say, and she misinterpreted what I was saying, right? And then it just gets even worse. You're doubling down on what was already something that was going to be a problem for you. Well, in this situation, the Cardinals already have a problem with Matt Carpenter. He's got a, a bloated contract for what he's actually performed on the field the last two seasons. He's not great defensively. We all know that. We've watched it over the last few years. It looks like it hurts whatever he throws. More often than not, he gets the job done, but it, it hasn't been pretty at times. And now, in order to further double down on that we want to give him the most at bats on the team I'm just not here for that I understand that there is there's absolutely some human element that goes into all of this right and if that is what you're talking about there okay I'll listen to it but the human element can't actively make your team worse and by giving one of your worst hitters more at bats you are making your team actively worse you remember I keep going back to this but the the plan for the Rays and for the Padres against the Dodgers was we've got to get around the Mookie Betts top of the order right we've, we've got to find a way to work our way around him and the Rays in particular they were switching their pitcher every time they would get to his spot in the order Are you telling me that instead of, like obviously the, the Cardinals don't really have a Mookie Betts but tell me that you're gonna put in that spot of the order Matt Carpenter who at 220 last year with the on-base percentage around 320, which isn't good? Why? What's he bring to that spot? So I just I think that would be doubling down on, a, on what is already a problem for you, and I, I think it's the opposite, frankly, of what they should do. Yeah, and I mean, look, you can bury him in the bottom of your batting order and make the bottom of your batting order bad, and I think that's what you'll see at some point this season. But again, I think if, if I'm John Mosellock and I'm Mike Schilt, I'm going into this season saying, okay, how do we get the best we can out of Matt Carpenter? And and I'm going off of track record. And it's let's see what he's got in that front at the beginning of the season and the leadoff spot. And you know what? If, if a month goes by and this guy is not doing it, if he is the same guy that he was in 2019, then we make a decision to move forward without it. But I think you got to at least try and utilize him the best way possible. And unfortunately, I think that is the leadoff spot. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. BK, but Matt Carpenter brings the speed. You got to let him fly. Hey. Yeah, if, give him the salsa. If that's what he's going to do, then by all means, somebody else said, I'd rather hey. see 500 at-bats for Carpenter than Bader. At least Bader brings really good defense. And over the last two years, he's been a better hitter than Matt Carpenter. I would rather see. Well, let's also. Go ahead. Let's also remember, BK, that Matt Carpenter likes to lean in on the pitches, so maybe he gets hit an awful lot. Maybe he plays a little beanball this season and gets on base. I would love for him to do that for me in the 7-8 <laughs> or 9-hole. That's, that's all I need here. <laughs> coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll cross things over with a fast lane. But coming up next, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the voice of the Blues. He's Chris Kerber on the day that the Blues named their 23rd captain in team history. Ryan O'Reilly will react to the news of the day with Chris Kerber next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. There is some news in the NFL. It's big news, Ferrario. 
Uh-oh. Steelers wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster told reporters today, quote, for the betterment of myself and for my teammates, I'm going to stop dancing on the logos for TikTok. Yep. Okay. Good news. Great in the decision. NFL. <laughs> Huge Steelers news. Are now a, Steelers are now a Super Bowl champion. Like, they're, the Chiefs have no chance now, BK, in the AFC because Juju is done with TikTok. All, all the over. issues are officially fixed for them. Yeah. Let's now go out to it's the Brown over. and Crouppen celebrity line since we have the world's issues all solved. To speak with our friend Chris Kerber, he is the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, my friend. How you doing today? Brandon, I'm doing awesome. How are you? I'm doing well. So the news of the day, of course, Ryan O'Reilly, officially the Blues' 23rd captain in the history of the franchise. What would you make of the news? Obviously, maybe the worst-kept uh, secret in hockey is that this would be coming. But what would you make of Ryan O'Reilly officially becoming the next captain for the Blues? Well, I mean, yeah, this is this is not a surprise in any way that he was it. Although... What I do say, and since we spent a lot of time talking about the captaincy and kind of what it meant and and everything like that, I mean, I I do think that there were other people that would have been very good captains and and somebody that the Blues had to at least go through the process to consider. Braden Shen, uh, Colton Pareko, Vladimir Tarasenko in his time with the Blues. I mean, those are, are, you know, a few that, that make a lot of sense. Um, to be considered. I mean, and, and even I know he's new, but it, but you do fully expect both Tory Krug and Justin Falco have worn you know, either letters or right on the verge of doing so with their previous teams to be in that leadership group too. So I think it's a, a no-brainer based on what Ryan O'Reilly has done, what he's accomplished, and how he's handled himself. But I think the good news is is uh, there are plenty of leaders as well that won't wear the C. They're still going to be a critical to this team. You know, Curbs, we talked with Rob Ray uh, of the Sabres broadcast team earlier today on the show, and he he said a quote that really stuck out to me about the leadership role in a hockey locker room. He said, if you're going to call guys out, which you have to do at times, you got to be sure that you're doing your job so that you can call those guys out. And the interesting part with that is the fact that all of these leadership guys, O'Reilly, Schwartz, Shen, Pareko, Tarasenko, all of these guys do their job, so they have the capability of of calling out players if they need to. You know, and yeah, and I don't. You know, when when you talk to guys inside the room, you don't hear a whole lot of stories of captains kind of getting in the face of somebody or calling somebody out the way we would tend to think it. You know, I, I think you do hear more of the just simply getting over to somebody. Hey, come on, we're going to need more from you, kind of thing. But you're absolutely right. You've got to be able to walk the walk. And I think this year, as much as any, Ryan O'Reilly's approach, ability to compartmentalize, ability to just handle things with kind of ice water in his veins and a cool heartbeat, um, to me is going to be critical. There's going to be challenges this year. You've got taxi squads, as you guys have talked about. You're going to need to rest players just to rest players. You're going to look at the standings. You're going to say, hey, we may just give this guy a night off. And I'm going to tell you maybe giving Ryan O'Reilly the night off, right? I mean, just because of the way the schedule is going to be, COVID could reach in a certain point. I mean, now we know we, we know at least, you know, five or six of the Blues players have had COVID since the beginning here. But, you know, the reality of it is, is all these things are going to play into this. And, and I just I and, and especially how you're going to handle some of the media demands now because access is just so limited as it has to be from the pandemic standpoint that 
Um, they, they've got the right guy. And, man, I'll tell you what, like, Ryan O'Reilly goes over to, say, a Jordan Cairo and says, why don't you stick around after practice and, and do some drills with us? How does a Jordan Cairo say no to that? <laughs> I mean, how does anybody say no to that? Yeah. But knowing what Ryan O'Reilly has done, right, there's no way some of those younger guys could say no to that. So I, I really, really like the way this is going. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you're thinking, okay, the Blues just acquired, you know, one of the top sentiment available when they made the trade for Ryan O'Reilly. Man, oh, man, to think that you traded for a guy and in two years he's a Selkie winner, a Conn Smythe winner, a Stanley Cup champion, another Con- or another Selkie finalist, and on top of that, uh, oh, Lady Bing, throw that in there. Oh, yeah, now he's your captain. Holy smokes, what a trade. Pretty incredible, especially given what they gave up for Ryan O'Reilly. We're talking with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I didn't want to leave out the assistant captains that were named today as well. Vladimir Tarasenko, Braden Shin, and Colton Pareko all going to serve as assistant captains this year. Anything surprise you there? I know we had talked a little bit about potentially Perron being one of those guys. You mentioned Justin Falk, who certainly would would have potentially been in the mix for that. Shin and Pareko felt like no-brainers, but anything surprise you about those three? None whatsoever. Like I mentioned, I think at some point as you were going through your due diligence and even if you're leaning and saying, hey, we're going to name Ryan O'Reilly the captain, even if you're doing that, you still got to say, well, what about this guy? What about this guy? What about this guy? And those were the top three guys I would have asked that question about. So that, not, none at all. I think, I think it's important. Vladimir Tarasenko is, puts his teammates first and all of a sudden. He, he's got that approach to things. I think it's important for him to be in that leadership group because you need him involved in that. And like any great player that has the kind of uh, really elite high-end skill he has, they can be hard on themselves, and they can find themselves kind of down if things aren't going in. And, look, we've seen Vladimir Tarasenko go to the bench, and, the, you know, the body language has not been good. We, we, we've seen him sometimes bark, but, I mean, that's what uh, superstar players uh, with that kind of ability that see the game so much better than most, that you, they do get frustrated. I think keeping him as part of that leadership group is real critical to keeping him on an even keel and, and, and have him lead by example as well. So I really like that. The other two are no-brainers. You've got a long-term contract for Braden Shen. Uh, he, his, his style of play is that of a leader. And then, look, Colton Pareko's now your number one defenseman. And I, I, Colton Pareko's going to get to the point where he's like, a, in my opinion, like when Al McKinnis and Chris Pronger were logging 27 minutes a game and, and playing in every situation. So I, I'm, I'm telling you guys, and, and, you know, David Perron mentioned this, uh, like, that there's, there's just such a good veteran leadership group to this team as a whole that I mean, that's what's going to help keep them poised to win every single night and compete for a cup. Hey, Curbs, I, I know we're expecting the, the schedule, not just for the Blues, but for the NHL out later on today. And Ryan O'Reilly may have let it leak a little bit in his Zoom conference earlier saying that I think the Blues might have something like nine back-to-backs. Just curious your thoughts on the taxing schedule that this is going to be. You mentioned some of these guys are going to need nights off, but it is going to come down to health and being or staying in shape uh, for a grueling season that's going to be 56 games in 116 days. Alex, for me, it's two words. Personal responsibility. Uh, if you understand what's at stake and you understand that you are in a window to win a championship, and how hard it is to get within those windows to be considered a legit contender for a Stanley Cup. 
the personal responsibility you take away from the rink is critical. Are you taking the necessary steps to do whatever you can to avoid COVID? Right? Are you, how are you taking care of your body with the schedule? How are you handling things? I mean, if, and, and then that personal responsibility comes back to the team from the standpoint of, I mean, if, if, if you take some COVID-related risks, as we saw happen with the Cardinals, uh, you take the chance of putting your whole team in a bind, you know, and, and all of a sudden the schedule has to change and now travel could become really daunting later on, things like that. So I just believe whether it be in health, uh, health fitness, and, and just awareness, personal responsibility is the absolute key to this season for the St. Louis Blues. We know they've got the talent. We know they're going to be prepared from the coaching standpoint. We know we've got a coach that makes really good in-game adjustments. It's how do you manage the other stuff that you can control that will be the key to success. Well, Curbs, we're looking forward to it, man. We can't wait to hear you back on the call for Blues Hockey right here on 101 ESPN. He is Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. Give him a follow on Twitter, at his name, Chris Kerber. Curbs, all the best to you and the family, man. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to you, and we'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, happy holidays to you, too, and to all the the, the Blues and sports fans out there here in St. Louis. Stay safe, be smart. Uh, enjoy the families that you, you can, and uh, we'll see everybody at the hockey rink very, very soon. Sounds good. That is Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate him taking a little bit of time with us today. Coming up next, we've got a very special edition of the Fast Lane coming your way today. Yesterday, it was a hodgepodge of Stalter, me, Ferrario, <laughs> Barnes. We are trying to make it all work, right? Today, it's going to be like 7,000 times better than it was when I was on the show. We've got Jamie Rivers. We've got Jeff okay. Burton, and we've got oh. Donnie Fandango coming over oh, from baby. the point. They're going to be in with Jamie for the entire show today. I have no idea what is coming up next, but we'll cross it over with Jamie Rivers to find out next on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Thanks to Luke Clevenger for helping us out over the last couple of days. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Time to cross things over with the fast lane. Jamie Rivers in studio for a non-traditional fast lane today. Yeah, you're talking (laughs) non-traditional, all right. Uh, Buckle up, Buttercup, because it's going to be a good one. So speaking of non-traditional, we would normally just do a regular crossover here. We'd shoot the you-know-what, and we'd kind of move along five minutes from now. We'd get you into your show. Yes. Well, normally on Fridays, we do this segment, Jamie. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called One Gotta Go. Oh, it's always my favorite. And 65780 (laughs) is the air comfort service tax line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. Luke, if you could play my intro, let's play a game of One Gotta Go. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. All right, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. One got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Let's start out because Ferrario, I don't know if you know this about him, is very upset about certain Christmas movies. So let's start oh with boy. a couple of one got to go. fired up, Rivs. Christmas oh movie edition. All right. The Santa Claus, Home Alone, 
Die Hard or Elf? The oh, Santa wow. Claus, Home Alone, Die Hard or Elf? One's got to go. Ferrario, we'll start with you because I know how passionate you are about this. Yeah, you're right. And all of these movies are phenomenal movies. Uh, to me, it's an easy decision. It's the Santa Claus. Tim Allen's got to go. It's, a, it's, it's an easy decision because I'm not getting rid of Elf. Definitely not getting Home Alone. And... I don't even remember what the third one was, but I remember it was important. Die so hard. Santa Claus has got to go. Yeah, Die Hard, of course. It's Bruce Willis. Come on now. Die Hard is staying. Santa Claus has got to go. It's an easy choice. All right. So we actually watched Die Hard the other night on purpose. We like went fishing through the internet TV, smart TV thingamajiggy there. And I'm we sure found... you were the one that was handling everything. I as actually you did was, <laughs> but my 11-year-old was guiding me through it. So, How does this TV work? What is this button? And we clicked on Die Hard and we watched Die Hard and a couple of the kids were in and out as we watched it. They liked it. So Die Hard for me is a you, you have to keep it. Elf, you have to keep. Home Alone, we watched again last night. It's like the 10th time I've seen it already this holiday season. And the worst <laughs> part is, I giggle every time. I don't know why, yep. but it just gets me. Santa Claus got to go. I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like it. Definitely. But I'm not tuning in for it. So, Santa Claus, see ya. So, here comes BK with an unpopular right, opinion. Go. Let's get a little bit of an unpopular opinion. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's not. It's, okay, it's a BK, movie that was set during Christmas time. It's not he a Christmas comes back movie. specifically for a Christmas party and for Christmas with his family. Understood. There are a lot of Boom. movies where, you know, they, they have a fight on Christmas Day or something. It's not a Christmas movie. It's not about the Christmas it's spirit. It's 100% a Christmas movie. No, so you it take is set Christmas in Christmas movie. time. 100%. Therefore... Therefore, it does not meet my qualifications for a Christmas movie, oh, and I oh will go God. with Die Hard. Got to get all the way up out of here. One Good thing go. this is a short one got to go segment. Such a bad thing. One got to go Christmas movie edition. Take two, a Christmas story, <laughs> Polar Express, The Grinch, or A Wonderful Life. A Christmas oh. story, Polar Express, The Grinch, or A Wonderful Life. Again, Ferrario, we're going to start with you. Which Grinch are we talking? Cartoon oh, Grinch good. or Jim Carrey Grinch? Jim Carrey Grinch. Okay. Okay, the Grinch has got to go then. Oh, The damn. Grinch has got to go. I don't like the Jim Carrey Grinch. They turned it into some love story that is completely off the radar of the actual Grinch. Polar Express would probably have gone if it was the cartoon Grinch, um, but Jim Carrey's Grinch has to go because I don't like that one at all. Wow, all I heard is that Alex hates love stories and Christmas. So, anyways, based upon... <laughs> what the... <laughs> uh, I do agree with you a little bit we're on this one. We're going to get into the holiday spirit there, Yeah, we're going to go, Jeez, Jamie, it's... Bah, no, Jamie's just throwing me under the bus there. A little bit, maybe two buses. Anyways, <laughs> the, uh, the Grinch with Jim Carrey, although it's not my favorite of the Grinch package, the original cartoon is absolutely the best of all those Amen. ones. Absolutely. I'm going to say that Christmas Story has got to go. And here's why. It's an okay movie, but, like, you'll shoot your eye out and, like, the little BB gun. And then I think, what, TBS or one of them has runs it, like, 24 hours a day. It's yeah. ruined yeah. it for me. It's ruined it to where I, like, I don't even need to see it ever again. And It's a Wonderful Overrated. Life. That's a classic. It, you have to keep that one for sure. So Christmas Story, bye bye 
I think I'm with you, Jamie. Um, it, it's between a Christmas story and a wonderful life for me. I think both of Don't. them are fine. I think both of them are fine, no. solid movies, properly rated. But out of this group, I'm going to go with a Christmas story is the one that's got to go. All right. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for one guy to go. Got a couple more quickies here for you guys. You're popular in text Ooh. line, too. Yeah, I know. People are very <laughs> upset with me. Some somebody What said, else is new, right? Somebody said... <laughs> is really aggressive bleep you bk <laughs> yeah. die hard is absolutely a christmas movie again bleep you that's actually oh, good. my text number. line's working then that's, yeah i was gonna say good Ferrario's thing i can text number. into the station another person me. said you're bleeping high jamie rivers so you know it's, so it's coming out from all yeah. angles <laughs> that's four hours to come so one gotta go outdoor activity edition fishing camping hiking or biking Fishing, camping, hiking, bikings. One got to go. We'll start with you, Jamie Rivers. Camping. Beat it. And, you know, and I'm doing it. I'm in, so glad you said it. It makes me feel so much better. Camping. That you're the one that said it. it. Well, in Missouri, camping, beat it. It's too dang hot. And the bugs and the, I'm like, forget about this. I can go and do everything I want and then either go into like a nice pull behind trailer or a nice hotel room or whatever, a little cabin. That's fine. But camping with all that in Missouri, it's absolutely not. In Canada, it's a little colder. You know, it gets cold at night. It's not so miserable. But yeah, camping, see you later. Camping gets number two for Ferrario because all three of those hiking, fishing, biking, you know what they do? They can end and I can go back to air conditioning and proper plumbing. You know what camping is? Wiping your rear end with makeshift toilet paper or not having air conditioning. Yes, I know. I sound like a prima donna here. My camping is a red roof inn. So camping, get the hell out of here. A red roof inn. Oh, my. So the best part about this is that I fully anticipated you guys were going to say, like, ah, not all that interested in biking or, you know, hiking. Not my thing. No, I get to be just like you. And it's it's the least surprising thing for any of our listeners that I'm going to say, you know what? I'm not interested in going camping. Not interested in the least bit. I can't, I'm not allowed to Amen. touch my future father-in-law's grill. I don't know how to change a tire. <laughs> and oh, by the way, not interested in going camping at all. At least I'm nothing if not consistent. Here. I'm with you. <laughs> Finally, we Amen. agree. Last one we before agree. we get you into the fast lane today. A fantastic edition of it with the point guys in with Jamie Rivers. Cookies, fudge, pie, brownies. One's got to go. Christmas dessert edition. Cookies, fudge, pie, or brownies. Jamie, which one's got to go? Oh, man. I know. I'll this go is a with tough the, one. I'll go with the fudge. And the only reason I say that is, like, once you've had, like, a couple of bites, I got, I, I've got, i got it. I feel you, fudge. I got you, man. But it's, it's just, just only a couple of bites, typically. It's like, it's like the yeah, size of your palm. <laughs> it's just, it's so rich. And it's like, I can get that chocolate in my cookies, in the pie, in the cake. Whatever. I don't need to just consume it whole as fudge. So fudge has got to go. Yeah, you get that coffee or that fudge in your coffee. What? Jamie fudge Rivers. you, is Alex. Is that, is that a euphemism? Uh, because my wife, my lovely wife, just made me fudge and cookies last night, I'm going to keep those two. Oh, uh, got to keep the pie. I'm getting rid of the brownies. What? It's what? an unpopular opinion, probably. I'm pulling a BK, but if I got the fudge, I don't need the brownies. That was a side That spike. was way more unpopular than anything I've ever said. I'm not sure that's true. Uh, that I probably highly true. doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer here is pie for me. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Pie's got to go. Pie. That one's all the way up out pie, of here. Alex. All right. 
Yeah, he does hate pie. For Alex Ferrario, <laughs> I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Luke Clevenger's done a fantastic job filling in on the board for us the last couple of days. Jamie Rivers is coming up next on the fast lane. He's got Donnie Fandago and Jeff Burton from the 1057 The Point. They're going to be in with him. We will be back oh, next Monday. I hope you all have a very Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you next week right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast powered by I Promise.